Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Oh, it's a massive show. We're going to do footy Tinder because we didn't get to do it on Tuesday. Hugh McCluggage from the Lions is going to join us, Joe. Wanting to talk AFLW, we'll talk A-League, we'll talk Bathurst, we'll talk a whole lot of stuff. Uh, yes, indeed. Welcome to the Sporting Capital. Great to have you on board. I hope you've had as good a day as you possibly can, however you've been putting it in, wherever you've been putting it in. It's great to have you with us here now. Uh, and you can call in at any stage as well. And you can do so uh, on the Harcourts open line. Your move, your Harcourts, for all things real estate, speak to Harcourts. For all things sport, I'd love it if you'd speak to me. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 We just changed the number uh, during the Maccas run as we're part of Trade Radio at the same time. So if that has been a little bit confusing, um, never fret, never fear. The old number is here, one three hundred, or the regular numbers here, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Text in at any stage on the Forty Winks Temper text line zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. Forty Winks is serious about sleep. There is a ton on the show over the next three hours that I'm looking forward to sharing with you and looking forward to chatting to you about. Uh, we didn't get to do Footy Tinder on a Tuesday night, uh, and it's a very exciting edition of Footy Tinder because Lincoln, who's been producing uh, this show over the last couple of weeks, is making his on-air debut to present Footy Tinder. I'll introduce him in just a moment. After 8 o'clock, Brisbane Lion humour cluggage, fresh off a second place uh, in the Lions' best and fairest the Merritt Murray medal, uh, is going to join us. He's going to spend his off-season doing something really fascinating and, and really generous for charity, which I'm going to tell you a little bit more about as well. Uh, Joe Watton, who's been calling the AFLW with Channel 7 uh, for the last couple of years now, has called on SEN and AFL Nation as well. We're going to preview uh, round uh, this round's action of AFLW. Um, we're going to speak uh, to Michael Lamentana about uh, Bathurst this week. It's the end of an era at Bathurst as well. It'll be the last time that you see Holden's going around the mountain. We'll talk A-League. hockey. We'll talk Hockey 1 as well. Um, the very fast and furious and fun-paced um, Hockey 1 League, which has started last week. Um, normally when we talk hockey, we're talking kookaburras, Oli, uh, hockey roos. Um, this is a fantastic competition that's uh, happening uh, all around Australia um, and we're going to find out a little bit more about it, speaking to one of our best uh, hockey goalkeepers of all time. Um, 
But why don't we get started? Oh, by the way, if you've got any trade stuff you want to talk about as well, um, I just uh, read a little story out before uh, Fox Sports saying that the Giants might come and make a play for North Melbourne's pick one. There's a whole lot that could happen with a three-way deal for Jason Horn francis and what that leaves North Melbourne. There was only one deal done today, Josh Corbett, getting from the Gold Coast Suns to the Fremantle Dockers in exchange for a future fourth-round selection. If you want to talk cricket, Aussies and their performance last night against the West Indies, uh, call that game with Darren Chuck Berry, and we spent a lot of time laughing. It was quite... Quite comedic, um, some of the goings-on during that game. But uh, uh, Australia got the win uh, in the end. West Indies snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, dropped two catches in that final over, uh, and Australia got the win, uh, courtesy of Matty Wade, and Aaron Finch got his third half century of 2022 in T20 cricket. There's some news about Live Golf that I'll share with you, so there's a ton to talk about. But why don't we get stuck in uh, to this. On the Sporting Capital... It's time to start swiping with Footy Tinder. There was no one more disappointed that we didn't do Footy Tinder on Tuesday night than the man who, uh, the young man who's been producing this show for the last couple of weeks. He's been doing uh, the Macca's run on the trade radio as well and sticking around to do the Sporting Capital as well. Uh, Lincoln, Alan, hello to you. Hello, Sam. Long-time listener, first-time co-host. It's great to be here. <laughs> oh, co-host. You've elevated yourself all the way to co-host. The first segment, I'll call it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Lincoln, please tell uh, us a little bit about yourself. Um, oh, 21, I've moved to Melbourne from Perth and i am just mm. got the best job in the world working with you on <laughs> night, night time at SEN, so loving it. Flattery will uh, get you everywhere. Um, Lincoln Allen, no relation to Ben Allen, eh? Uh, no, I don't, I don't get... Uh, no one asks that too often, but... There may be a slight relation, yes. He's my, he's my dad. So. Uh, there we go. Just a slight, just a slight, just a really uh, thin connection. Yeah. Uh, I cried when your old man left Hawthorne and went to Fremantle. I cried when Darren Jarman went to Adelaide as well. Who'd you cry more over? Uh, Darren Jarman. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Sorry, Ben. Uh, it's great to have you on board. So you've put together Footy Tinder uh, this week, and for if you don't know, uh, Footy Tinder is where we play some of the biggest statements made by some of the biggest sta- uh, names in the game. Um, about football matters, and we swipe left if we disagree, we swipe right if we agree, we get one super like. Any more than one super like, you have to start paying, and just like real Tinder, if you have to start paying for it, there's an issue. So um, you can play along, you can text in your responses, swipe left, swipe right, left if you disagree, right if you agree, you can call in and have a chat about what we put on the agenda too. So you've put all this together, I haven't seen it. Where are we starting, please? What's the first item we're swiping on? Um, the addition of Tim Taranto puts the Tigers into serious premiership contention for 2023. Let's have a listen. He's a really good player, Tim Taranto. He's the sort of player that Richmond are doing now. You think, okay, he can, they can take us where we need to go. That was Gary Lyon, uh, who's definitely in agreement with you. Uh, I'm swapping right on that. I rate Tim Taranto incredibly highly. Um, Matt Randell has said it to me before. Every other recruiter that you speak to has said it before. Judge someone on what their very best is. And Tim Taranto's very best was the best and fairest in their grand final year of 2019. 26 matches that year. He's 24 years old and he's the same age as Dion Prestia when he joined Richmond ahead of the 2017 season. And look how that that worked out. Exactly. Uh, So I'm swiping right on that. Um, I think that it it adds a... uh, And not only what he adds to their midfield, what he's able to do in there, and as long as he can stay fit, because there's been some injuries uh, over the years but what he can also do when he goes forward because they've deployed him as a replacement for Toby Green when Toby Green's had to sit out games and he becomes that option inside Ford 50. So he's got strings to the bow. Um, so I really like that one. I'm swapping right uh, on that. What's the next bit of audio I'm playing? 
Paddy Dow would get a regular AFL game at most clubs. Well, let's have a listen to Kane Corns speaking about that. I don't think Paddy Dow's an AFL player. I'm, I'm calling that one out. Five seasons into his AFL career, I know he's a high draft pick. If you cannot get a game and you're only playing four games in your fifth season of football and they really struggle to find a home for you wherever that is in the midfield, I don't think he's good enough. So I think that's spin. Yeah. So I'm uh, – so what was the question again? Paddy Dow would get regular AFL games at most clubs. Most. Now, I'd have to declare a bias because Paddy Dow did come through the Bendigo Pioneers and we all know my um, just unadulterated and unashamed bias to all things Bendigo. Um, most. I'm going to have to swap left on that. I agree with Sauce that I think that there is senior football for him somewhere. Um I don't know if it's most, so I'd swipe left. But I think there'd be several clubs that would take Paddy Dow, and I think that he could find his way into the midfield, and I think he could find his way to cement his spot. There's a big thing. So Luke Power, who's just been announced, by the way, as the uh, Carlton's uh, twos coach, I think, for next year. But he came up as a development coach and is widely considered one of the best at it. He coached um, representative squads uh, through the under-18s and under-16s. He's joined Carlton over the last couple of years. Um, I have a feeling that if he had been there, with all due respect, because that maybe things would be a bit different for Paddy Dow, uh, who played midfield earlier in his career uh, under Brendan Bolton, I reckon it was, didn't get so much under David Teague. Michael Voss comes along, and it's not Michael Voss, I wouldn't have thought, but the fact is that when Michael Voss came, so too did George Hewitt, so too did Adam Chera, Matt Kennedy got fit, so there's not the opportunities for him at the moment that there would have been. Where you go, where you end up, this is a belief I have, where you end up is actually more important than what number your name's called out. So where you get called to, I think, is more important than what number you get called to. Got another one on Paddy Dow then. Do you think the criticism, in, the criticism of him is justified? So it's tended to be around um, disposal um, and his disposal efficiency. But if we... If I go and have a look at some of the numbers, I, I, I think that he moves well. Um, there's a couple of times there's been frustration from Carlton fans that you see him do a couple of really good things um, and then he goes and does something that has you thumping the desk. But that's of most young players, I, I would have thought. So, no, I, I don't think the criticisms is justified. Um, I, I think there is a place for him to play. Your question was, would it be most? Um, and I don't know if... It would be most, but certainly it would be a lot. of uh, Certainly would be several clubs that I think would take him. Um, played 20 games in 2018. He was picked two in the 2017 draft. He went behind Cam Rayner. 20 games in his first year, 19 in his second, and then he went three, 17 and four. So there's, foot, there's good football in him. I think Brayshaw might have been picked two in 2017. 2016. 2016, okay, yeah. sorry, my bad. Yeah, 2016. Because Brayshaw was... Uh, uh, who was who went number one that year? I think Rayner was in Brashaw's draft going into 2018. Yeah, no, I thought it was... Um, hang on, let me have a look at that draft. 2017 draft. I... Because Rayner went number one in his draft year. Yeah, it was... No, so McGrath... It went McGrath, Taranto, McCluggage in 2016. So what number did Paddy Dow go? Let me just have a look here to get my... He went three. So you're 100% right. And, and how dare I question you... Uh, on anything to do with the Dockers. So I went Rainer, Brayshaw, Dow, uh, Luke Davies-Uniak, Adam Chera, 
So there you go. The guy that went uh, a couple of picks below, uh, Paddy Dow's pretty much taken his spot. Um, <laughs> well, not that it was his spot. Uh, what's next? Dwayne Russell is correct in thinking the hysteria around Geelong is silly. Let's have a listen. Including this silly hysteria around Geelong, you'd think they've won the last three premierships the way people are carrying on about trying to bring them down. Uh, won one flag in 11 years. Um, and what a difference one win makes. I mean, if Geelong had have lost the grand final, um, where every critic would have been laughing and saying, ah, oh, yeah, we told you so. Too old, too slow. Why did you recruit Isaac Smith? Chris Scott can't coach. You know what hysteria would be having if Sydney won the flag, Sydney beat Geelong in the grand final? It'd be, oh, the Swans need to... We can't have those academies. What's the question? Dwayne Russell is correct in thinking the hysteria around Geelong is silly. Super like. Super like. <laughs> Absolutely super like. I was listening to Julian Disturb make a lot of sense um, about this this, uh, this afternoon on SEN. Equalisation is already working. And he gave some great examples as to why. So I'm just going to steal everything he said, repurpose it as my own. So thank you, Julian Disturb. But he spoke about that if you look back over the last, I think it's 10, 13, 15 years, I think there's only three teams that haven't played, three or four teams that haven't play, played in a prelim. We've got example after example of whether it be Collingwood finishing 17th last year and, and making um, top four this year. Brisbane Lions going 15th to second a couple of years ago. Um, Melbourne went from outside the eight to a premiership after being a prelim to, I think, 15th after that. So we see... Swings and roundabouts, peaks and troughs. We see teams go up and we see teams come down. This is not a problem about equalisation. There's no issue with equalisation. I think we even go too far. I don't want the bottom team to get the number one draft pick. I think the team that finishes ninth should get the number one draft pick. You think the pick? Yes. That might be a separate issue. Yeah, we'll talk about that. I've talked about that before, but we will, um, we'll, talk about, uh, we'll talk about that another time. So... This is not an issue about equalisation. This is about an issue of do people want to come and play at your club? And if not, why? So he also spoke about the fact that Brisbane had... You, you couldn't keep them in the door at Brisbane a few years ago. But then now they're a destination club. Yeah. So when Yo and, um, and, and, and Redden um, and uh, Polek and Longer... Sam Doherty. Sam Doherty. All these guys left... Everyone thought, oh, no, it's a shambles up there. But then they get priority pick. They actually have a targeted recruiting scheme. They have a system. They have a plan in place. And now everyone wants to head up there. So, and Geelong. So this is just a, a well-run organisation, a very well-run organisation. Mature. They're not irrational. They don't make big snap judgment decisions. They think things through. They take their time. They put processes in place. They're not erratic like some clubs, they don't get spooked by media. They have a plan, they stick to it, and they're able to execute it. The, there's other clubs around who are sacking coaches after one and a half years because, oh, no, nah, the media, are, they get spooked by a lot. And then there's a shambles. Essendon's a great example of that. Apologies, but they are. Go back and have a look at all the uncertainty and unhe- upheaval over the last couple of years, and, and including the events of the last week and the last few weeks. And I'm sorry to say that it's, there's been difficult times at North Melbourne as well. But if you are a club that actually has good structures and good processes in place 
and, and stick to your plan. Have faith in your people. Put good people in the right positions. Back those people in. Sometimes there's short-term pain, but the long-term gain. And then all of a sudden you go, people go, geez, oh, he's such great things. Because players all talk. So players all talk about their experiences at their clubs. They all know each other now. And when they talk and say, you've got to see, this is unreal up here in Brizzy. This is so good down here in Geelong. That gets around. Just to confirm, you're more than happy for a team that's won the flag to have potentially Jack, Jack Bowes, Tanner Broon, Ollie Henry and Pick 7 coming their way next year? Absolutely. Because that speaks to how well-run they are, how attractive a proposition they are. And by the way, I barrack for Hawthorne, so by rights I hate Geelong. <laughs> the great, one of the great modern rivalries. But you can't hate a well-run and successful organisation and you can't try to take away from them because of that. I would say it says more about other clubs and about why they can't do it as opposed to why Geelong can. And it's got nothing to do with equalisation. Nothing. What's next? Uh, we might talk about Tom Mitchell now. I'm fit where Hawthorne are going. So I'm not surprised. Collingwood have said, look, I don't think we're going to get this done mm. because there's a fair payback attached mm. to him, given that he would have signed a contract after his Brownlow medal. But I'm, if he's at Hawthorne next year, that ain't going to be good for club nor player, in my opinion. I just What's the question? It's in Tom Mitchell and Hawthorne's best interest to part ways ahead of next season. Yeah, I'll swap right to agree with that. Yeah, I think that, I think that makes sense. Um, he's done some great things at Hawthorne. Tom Mitchell won a Brownlow. He's done great things against Collingwood. He averages over 30 at disposals against them. There you go. So there's a win for Collingwood. That won't happen against them. It, it would just seem to me that Sam Mitchell is chips in on giving as many midfield minutes to the younger guys as possible. So we, we saw that this year with Liam Shields, who was out of the side a lot because they wanted to give Finn McGuinness um, as as good a chance as yeah, possible. Yeah, and then found a place as a tagger in that side. So I think with John Newcomb and the way he's come on, uh, what they want to do with Ward. So I think it would be a win-win for to Mitchell to go exactly to where someone has a need and that need he can fill because it would seem to me like Hawthorne would probably maybe, and I don't know because it's outside looking in, but I would expect it to be more of the same this year where Sam Mitchell would say, if I have my choice, I'm going to go with the kid. And if, and that means we've got to find a different role for you. Might be starting on the bench. It might be that you're not constantly going through the middle. And that's where Tom Mitchell obviously does his best work, right? Well, yeah, well, that's the only place that Tom Mitchell does uh, his work. So he is one of the best ball winners in the competition. Do you think you'd fit him well at Collingwood? I think there's absolutely a need and, and he could fill that need for them. And, and just get back to doing what, you know, you, you do best and so it's not all on you as well. I think he felt maybe I'm just... I would wonder and I contemplate whether he thought that maybe he had to do too much of the work at times at Hawthorne. So now you would go to a club who's made a prelim and you might not feel that same pressure to have to carry that kind of load and and get and, and Craig McRae would then say to you, here's all I need from you. These are the key areas that I want you to to address and help us with and that's what we're going to aim towards. So I think it would be, I, I swat right, couldn't agree with Gary anymore. I think it would be a win for him and it would be a win for Hawthorne. What's next? We might go to Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody. If they're able to add a fit and firing tipper 
Sonny Walters played his best game in the last game of the year. You put Lobb in there. If they have a little bit of luck with Tabernay and they have some guys in the middle of the ground who can kick some goals, of which they've got some very, very, very talented midfielders, all of a sudden this is a crack at the premiership next year that probably come a year or two before people might have thought it. Hold that thought. We'll take a break. I'll uh, swap left or right on that one when we come back. Footy tender, sporting capital. You can get involved. one 736 736 on the Harcourt's open line. Or 0433981116 on the 40 Wings temper text. Uh, we're playing a bit of footy tinder where we swipe left to disagree or right to agree uh, with some of the biggest statements made by some of the biggest names in the game. And uh, producer Lincoln, who's in for the first time to present footy tinder, already has a fan base developing. More Lincoln on air, please. Enter a debate with the Dockers with him at your own risk. Love the show, Sam. There you go. Positive response coming through. Don't mind that. There we go. Uh, you were asking uh, about Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody. What was the question? He has not. Um, I originally had he has the potential, but I'm going to change it. I'm going to say Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody is the missing piece in Fremantle's premiership puzzle. Ooh, there's there's probably a bit of ball movement stuff um, and maybe some key forward stuff that's the missing piece, but I think he would be a brilliant addition to Frio, who you've got some great pressure forwards as it is. I really like Schultz's year, um, what Switkowski does. I think Frederick's an absolute jet, and I think when you pl- start to play an f- even faster brand, then Frederick will be that's even more stuff. of a weapon. But what Anthony McDonald Tip and what he does is he has impact. He has impact physically. He has impact defensively. He has impact on the scoreboard. He is, at his best, he's one of the best small forwards uh, in the game. And we may have forgotten that. But I think that if he goes to Fremantle, uh, he will have a significant, he will make significant, he'll make you a significantly improved side. Uh, you've got a couple more, haven't you? Got a couple more, yep. Okay, stick around. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. On the Harcourts open line, you'll move your Harcourts. You can text in 0433981116. Just on Taranto, uh, Tim, the tarantula Taranto, will put the bite on the opposition hitman Hargraves. That's come through. So, And then in terms of good clubs attract good players and clubs who aren't run so well maybe don't. Aaron says St Kilda is exhibit A. Uh, Jeff Walsh is a great appointment, though. Uh, that, that, he will help turn that around. We'll be back with more Sporting Capital and more footy tinder uh, after this. Uh, welcome back to the Sporting Capital. Thanks for being with us. If you want to get involved, one 736 736 you can call the Harcourts open line for all things real estate. Speak to Harcourts for all things sport. I'd love you to speak to me. Uh, you can text in on the 40 Wings temper text, get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Wings, serious about sleep. We're most of the way through footy tinder where we swipe left to disagree or right to agree with some of the biggest statements made by some of the biggest names in the game. Producer Lincoln is in presenting for the very first time and there's already fan texts coming through. So uh, doing a brilliant job, Link. Um, what's next for us on the footy tinder menu? What are we swiping on next? We may talk about Jason Horn francis But does that diminish no. the, the fact that you've put your hand up and want to go for homesickness reasons? Don't you, don't you deal with anyone that can get you back home if you are genuinely that sick of being away? What's the question here? Jason Horn Francis should be open to a move to Adelaide if Port can't get the deal done. Yeah, I, I swap right on that. We've had this discussion before. Some of the advice that's come through from time to time is if you do want to tr- get traded to a club, then just say, I want to get traded to this club. Because once you say home sickness, well, home has two clubs. 
um, and then to say, no, 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 but I, won't, I don't want to deal with them. Now, understand Jason Horn Francis's family connection. His stepfather, Fabian Francis, played for Port Adelaide. He loves Port Adelaide. Uh, he's had a lot to do with Port Adelaide in his time uh, on the way up. But once you go down the homesickness route, you people get sceptical because once you say homesickness, then, well, if it's about getting home, then there's two clubs there. So if Tim Taranto had said, hey, I'm homesick, I want to get back to Melbourne, well, then the Giants go to every Melbourne club and say, give us the best deal. But Tim Taranto said, I want to get to Richmond. So if you're going to say homesick, then then, then the quibbling around... Well, it has to be Port Adelaide. Well, no, that's not about home. That's about you'd prefer to play for Port Adelaide. And if that's the case, then I just would have said that. I don't want to be here. I'd rather be at Port Adelaide. Can you trade me? Can you get a deal done for me? So I'd swap right on that. I think if you if, if homes and I think that's I actually feel homesickness is genuine. I don't have a problem when players say I'm homesick. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. People say I'll oh, harden up this and, and all that kind of stuff. That and you know I've had people ring in and say, well, if they were a flying fly out worker, if they were in the army, well, they're not those things. And in this competition currently, with the way it's set up, you do, there are options. And one of the options is you go to the club and say, listen, I'm not really liking it here and I, I'm so, it's not about you, it's, it's me. It's like a little breakup. And then, but I want to I see someone else. I want to go and see Port Adelaide. And, and, and I'm well, – sorry, I've just contradicted myself. I want to go home. I miss my family. Um, I miss my friends. I, I want to be at home. And some people say I'd sacrifice anything – to play AFL footy. And I get that because, but that's often the statement of someone who wasn't good enough and didn't get the opportunity to. I'm one of those people. I would have given anything to have been good enough to play and I would have played anywhere if I was good enough. The thing that happens when you are good enough is you get choice and there are options. And I think we resent that more than we resent what's actually happening because you'd give anything to be in their shoes um, if you weren't someone who was able to make it. So, I have no issue with people saying I'm homesick. I think that's valid. But when you say you're homesick, then, okay, let's stick with the homesick. Once you start saying, oh, but it has to be here, well, that's not really about being homesick, is it? You've got your preference, but to say that I won't deal with Adelaide, then I think that's a different thing. And just own the different thing. Luke Jackson said, obviously, he wants to go back to WA, and he hasn't explicitly said, I want to go to Fremantle, I want to go to West Coast. Mm. But it, while it has always seemed more likely he'll end up at Freo, he hasn't explicitly said, I want to go to this club. No, he hasn't declared. But what one thing that he is conscious of is he won't allow himself to be walked. He won't walk to the draft or to the, to the pre-season because he won't want Melbourne to walk away with nothing. So um, West Coast still think they're... Um, in the game, and Tim Lamb from the Melbourne Footy Club uh, yesterday or the day before, I think, told Trade Radio that we're we, we're looking for the best offer. Which, when you you know, when you any commodity that you've got on the market, that's exactly what we're all doing. Whether it be a house, a car, and people say this is insensitive, but players, the way that the trade period works is that they are a commodity; they have a value. So you're looking to get the the best value back towards you as possible, and that's absolutely fair enough as well. 99 times out of 100, he's going to get to where he wants to go. But Fremantle are going to have to stump up. Um, because as Dave Noble said on Trade Radio earlier, if you've committed to a player, then it is on you to get the deal done that the club wants. Any others? I've got uh, another one here for you. It is on Kane Corns. There's no audio for this one, Sammy. But Kane Corns is calling for the AFL to increase the minimum contract length for first-round picks from two years to four. 
I'm going to swipe. I've spoken about this one before. I will swipe right. I heard JJ and Julian Stoop saying this is ridiculous, this is silly, this is dumb. I'll swipe right on that for, for, for a couple of reasons. I know I have just said about the go home, but let's be honest, you can get traded out of a contract. We see it happening all the time. I think when you commit to someone as a first-round draft pick, so and this is not a criticism of Jason Horn francis because things change in life, but Dave Noble spoke about the fact that when they'd had these conversations, he said, no, no, don't, don't bid on Nick Dacos. Take me. I want to be the number one pick. I want to come to your club. Now, it wasn't what he thought it would be, and there's been a lot happened since. So I understand, I understand that you think, well, this wasn't really what I thought it was going to be, and there's upheaval and all this kind of stuff. So I get all that. But you also, as a club, need the chance to be able to... You, you need the chance to be able to change their mind. Um, players have the option to be traded, but I think a four-year contract actually does give the player security. I mean, the average career length is, what, four and a half years? Some even first-round draft picks to get the two years and get delisted and never get another look in again. This would actually give them more time in the system to develop especially because we don't take – we're not like the NFL. So the NFL takes – they're ready because they've had four years mainly of college and that standard is the second best standard in the world to play. We take them out of an under-18 competition or in Jason Horn Francis' case he was playing Sanford Men's, which a lot of very, very good players have come from. I think it can actually help work, and I and I heard JJ say, well, it would make them want to leave more if they felt like they were forced to be there, but they can still... Jason Orn Francis is being asked to be traded with a year left to go on his contract. They're probably going to get done. So there's still options, but, but what this does is it also gives some players who develop a bit slower security, and it also gives clubs more of a chance to take a longer-term view with those players. I don't think that they should be on a rookie contract, though, for all those four years. I think it should be the two years, and then you renegotiate based on what they've done, you've still got them for the two years, but you renegotiate uh, and a fair price for what they've done or the potential you think they have, that they should get a a pay upgrade as well. But I like that because I actually think there's protection for the player and and there is also a bit of security for the club as well. It's a massive investment, a first-round draft pick. They're not speculative. There's speculative picks that come after and, you know, whether it be a Brian Lake at pick 70-odd or a Dane Swan at pick 58, Heard was picked. 60-something or 70-something. But those first-round draft picks, a lot of time goes into them, a lot of effort, a lot of interviewing, a a lot of, you know, there's real commitment made to a first-round pick because they are such a valuable asset, a a, a first-round draft pick. So um, I I think that two years just isn't enough. I think Kane's comments initially came, it was from last month or so, it was on when Tanner Broom, when you knew he wanted to... Seek a trade out of GWS. In that specific scenario, uh, a deal going from two years to four is not actually going to impact that scenario, which is what Kane was basing the argument off. Yeah, it, um, I would agree with that. Um, and I understand that there are others who, who say that there's just, just no need for it. Like, if it's, if it's going well, then they'll get another contract anyway, and if it's not, then they'll go somewhere else. Sometimes I just don't think it's as easy as that. Sometimes I just don't think it's as linear as that, um, yeah, I like it for, for both parties involved. Um, this was Tom Boyd, actually, who, who disagrees with this, but he was speaking about um, extending the, the initial contract. I left uh, the Giants with 12 months on my contract, and it, uh, look, in the most, you know, with the most humility, I was probably one of the first to really break the mould of staying at a footy club. Um, I don't think there was too many who forced themselves out after one year. I reckon it was like more like at the end of the second year. 
I don't know. I have no inclination to think that changing the minimum contract for an extra year does anything but serve the clubs um, in particular. And look, again, I love the Bulldogs. I love, you know, I love so much about the AFL and I'm not here to criticise. I just think that, you know, for all of the wants and needs that the football club does have on its players, which is give us loyalty, give us professionalism, sacrifice your life, you know, we'll pay you well for it. That's the equation that's currently in place. But I also think that in a heartbeat, clubs will cut you trade you or just, you know, quite frankly, forget about you in the blink of an eye if it suits their overall needs best. And that's what clubs are supposed to do. This is a high-performing industry. This is an industry that is as cutthroat as any in the Australian market. And there's a reason why that's what, uh, the reason why it's the best product from a sporting point of view that I believe that we have in Australia. So um, I see both sides of the coin. Um, but you can't have your cake and eat it too and say that, you know, we want to keep our players longer, but we're also not going to give them what they need to enjoy themselves at the footy club. So, so there's a couple of really good points in there, and some of it actually backs up what I was saying about the, the cutthroat nature of it. You could be gone after two years and no one will ever pick you up again, and you've only had two years to try and find your way. As I was mentioning before, that the transition from a college NFL player after four years to an NFL player is much better because they deal with... You know, it's, a, it's billions of dollars of TV rights as well. So there's the coverage of it. There's the reporting of it. There's the scrutiny on it. So they get they get a handle on all of that, the media attention, the fan attention. They're playing in front of 100,000 you know, 100, people, uh, a lot of those colleges. Um, they get accustomed to all of that noise and all of what comes with it uh, at the college level before they make it into the NFL. We don't have anything remotely resembling that. So they, for say it's a Victorian kid, comes from the NAB League, which maybe they might get their Vic Metro v Vic Country game broadcast, but there's, or maybe there's a live stream of their under-18 game. But most of the time we actually don't know, the, we wouldn't know a lot of these draft picks if we fell over them in the street before they actually get drafted. So then they come into this world that is just like nothing that they've ever experienced. Um, we might take them out of home. They might leave home at the 18 years of age, um, getting in a new city, first time they might have been away from home uh, at that time. So there is all this adjustment going on with someone who's essentially still going through puberty. Um, that's a lot. That is a whole lot. And it can sometimes take people longer to adjust. Not everyone's going to be Nick Dacos and slot straight in. Others take time and, and to get accustomed to it and to, to, to understand what it takes to be an elite-level professional athlete. And, we, how, you know, we see players that come good in the fourth year, the fifth year, when teams persist with them and, and stick with them. And I just think that gives them more of a chance to do so, longer time to get accustomed. It's either that, and, and Tom Boyd makes a great point, the development side of things can always be improved in how we prepare these guys for that, not just when they get in there and what the clubs do to equip them, but and, and, and the NAB leagues do this as well as they possibly can, but these guys are at school, they have that footy, they've got school footy, they've got um, their year 12, family commitments, all that kind of stuff. You, you, you can't even get close to mirroring the commitment that is required to be an AFL footballer. It's just a, it is just chalk and cheese. It is such a, a quantum leap in such a small space of time. It would be like you would be dizzied by it, I would think. There's nothing like the world of a professional athlete especially in the biggest game in the country, and to go from nothing like it to right in the middle of it and everything that comes around it, I think that's sometimes a longer than two-year proposition. So I'm swapping, what was it? (laughs) 
So the original question was, Kane Corns <laughs> is calling for the AFL to increase the minimum contract length for a first-round draft pick from yep. two to four. So you're agreeing and swapping I'm swiping right. right. And if it if that happens, they've got that four years. If they do move during that time, they still get that guarantee of four years. Um, that's still that's The club that takes them is still beholden to that. So it wouldn't be well, we get him in for one and then we kick him out the door. Look, look what happened. At, I know Jared Brand has been around a little bit longer, but I'll just use an example of GWS traded for him. He's a former top 10 pick. He'd gone after a year. So it's not exactly the same, but that, that's just how cutthroat is Tom Boyd saying the industry could be. Um, and here's a suggestion too. Can we just raise the draft age more mature? You, if you can, if there is a, 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 an easy transition from the under-18s into a league um, that's going to be another step up, whether it be VFL, Sandful, Waffle, and then how that filters in. There is the you can have a couple of overage players playing at the moment. Maybe that the NAB League goes from being an under nineteen or an under twenties. Nathan Buckley said he reckon he would have picked Nick Dacos for his team in round one, twenty twenty one. So how do you think Nick Dacos would be feeling if he's got another year out of the system? I think that he's the exception, not the rule. So when you look at those players and think, well, who just stepped straight in and looked like they'd been doing it forever? Judd, Rioli, Selwood, Dacos. It's it's not everyone. They're they're the they're the exception. They're they're not the rule. And then especially with key position players because they take so much longer. You know, not everyone's a Jonathan Brown. You just step straight in and start winning premierships. Um, it it, it takes those guys a bit longer. Rucks uh, as well. So there's. A whole lot that could be done um, to just tweak this space. But until you change the pathway, until you change, you know, you make the transition an easier one and it's not such a quantum leap from that to then into the system, then, yeah, you might, the four years, I think, might be a good thing. Hey, great job. Thank you, Sam. Very nicely done. I might have to turn your mic up a bit. We'll get you there. <laughs> you're, such a, so, you're so so polite and well-mannered that there's just no... Uh, no um, abrasiveness. To I was the, just sinking back in my chair. You're doing it. You did it. No, yeah, me dribble. Absolute nonsense. No, great job, Link. Thank you so much. Um, Footy Tinder on a Thursday night this week. If you've got anything you wanted to add to any of those topics, have been widely discussed uh, over the last week. One three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. On the other side of this, there's a ton of texts that have come through. We'll read through those. Uh, NBL action on tonight. Illawarra, South East Melbourne, Phoenix. Um, about five minutes to go in the first quarter. All tied up at 12 apiece with Mitch Creek at the stripe and missing the first. We'll keep you updated on those scores uh, all throughout the evening as well on the Sporting Capital. After 8 o'clock, Brisbane Lion, Humor Cluggage will be our special guest. Uh, Humor Cluggage is going to be our special guest after 8 o'clock, so do not miss... That, Joe Watton to talk AFLW as well. Uh, Damien's in Strathmore, wants to do some swiping from footy Tinder. Damo, hello. Hey, mate, how you doing? Very well, thanks. Now, you're, doing which, a, you're doing a very good job, mate. Oh, that's very kind of you, Damien. Thank you. Um, what particular <laughs> topic did you want to swipe on, left or right, on oh, footy Tinder? I didn't quite get all of them, so whatever, whatever you want to go with, I'm happy. Uh, what about we go with uh, Dwayne Russell has said that the hysteria over what Geelong are doing in the trade period and all the talk that equalisation is stuffed uh, is all silly. Yeah, I agree with Dwayne. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, all the clubs have a chance to do what Geelong did and um, good luck Geelong for Geelong for doing it. 
Uh, agree with that one. Uh, what about Kane Corn yep. saying that the uh, minimum contract for a first-round draft pick should be four years instead of two? Swapping left to disagree or right to agree? Uh, left to left to disagree. I very very rarely agree with Kane, so definitely disagree. Uh, what about uh, that? Tim Taranto automatically makes Richmond a premiership contender. Oh, even without Tim Taranto, we would have been a premiership contender, but we're, def- we're definitely an even bigger premiership contender now. And when we get Hopper tomorrow, that um, we'll even be a bigger premiership contender. Uh, are you OK to lose Hugo Ralph-Smith or Ivan Solo? I think no, uh, Big Ivan did yeah, too. We, we, we won't lose Hugo, but um, I'm not happy to lose um, Soldo, but um, if, it, if that's what it has to take, then that's what it takes. We need... We need two big midfielders, and um, they're the two best going around, so very happy to get them. Damien, thank you for joining us, and thank you for swiping, my friend. Uh, love a bit of footy tinder. Um, quarter time in the NBL, 22-19. Uh, to 19, Hawks are leading the South East Melbourne Phoenix. Hugh McCluggage joins us after this. Uh, yes, indeed. Welcome back to the Sporting Capital. Uh, just a quick... Score in the NBL, Illawarra 25, South East Melbourne 24. A couple of minutes in to the second quarter. Coming up at 8.30, Joe Watton's going to join us to preview this round of AFLW action. Uh, but it's an absolute pleasure to have our first guest of the show on tonight. Now, as I look around Instagram, what do I see uh, with uh, current AFL players? And there's absolutely nothing wrong with this. And I uh, am jealous of a lot of what I'm seeing in terms of post-season trips. I'm seeing players over at Oktoberfest. I'm seeing players going to Bali, uh, players heading around Europe, uh, players here, there and everywhere. You'll see a lot of players going to the races. Um, You will see the players getting to spend their uh, well-earned downtime in numerous and wonderful ways, varied ways. But I don't think anyone's doing what Humor Cluggage is doing. So I thought we'd better get him on, the Brisbane Lions superstar, just to tell us how he's spending his off-season and the phenomenal charity that he is helping spend and do that with. Uh, Hugh, hello, mate. G'day, mate. Thanks for having me on and let me chat about this for a, for a bit. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, so as I said, a lot of people going to do a lot of things in their off-season, footy trips and whatnot, um, different clubs do different things. Just explain to us what you're just about to do for World Youth International. Uh, yeah, so uh, start of November, I'll head over to Nepal with a small group of um, people from the organisation and um, spend a little bit of time travelling around there and having a look around uh, Kathmandu and, and that area. And then I'm doing a week of teaching uh, at, at their school there. They have the... Um, World Youth International School. So um, teach a bit of English, a bit of sport and a bit of music as well and uh, hopefully have a bit of fun. Mate, that's extraordinary. What what prompted this? How did your relationship with World Youth International start? Yeah, so they're a partner of the club and uh, we we have a great careers team at, at the club who sort of work with you to try and see what you want to do and so far I haven't really been able to work out exactly what path I want to go down. Um, so they, they threw this opportunity up to me and, and I thought I may as well give it a crack and uh, do something a little bit different. Obviously, most most years you go away and it's great fun. You, I've been to America and a few other places, but um, to be able to go over to Nepal and probably get a little bit of a different perspective on things will is something that interested me and, and to be able to, to help uh, some kids out over there at the same time is, is going to be pretty special as well. What can you tell us about what World Youth International do? What's their What's their aim? What's their goal? 
Sorry, mate. I just missed you there. That's okay. Uh, we're speaking to Hugh McCluggage, Brisbane Lions superstar. He's going over to Nepal uh, during this off-season to spend uh, a couple of weeks uh, over helping, uh, volunteering, teaching kids uh, music, uh, teaching a whole range of different things. Uh, what do you, what can you tell us about World Youth International, Hugh? What's their, what's their motto? What are they aiming to do in their charitable works? Uh, yeah, so they send a lot of nurses and uh, doctors and different health professionals over to to help out in the villages and then they also run this school because uh literal literacy um rates over there are really low and they wanted to to give an opportunity to all the kids over there so um they're two things that they're involved in over in in nepal which is really great yeah i think they've spent they've sent like four thousand australians into volunteering opportunities uh, around the world, they've um, uh, helped provide access to basic services such as healthcare, education to more than 40,000 people across the globe. So they do a phenomenal work uh, committed to enhancing quality of life, advancing health, strengthening communities and reducing poverty through sustainable uh, development projects. Um, that's phenomenal, mate. Um, what do you hope to get out of it personally? Yeah, as I've said before, I think just a little bit of perspective on how good we really do have it over here and how lucky I am to be doing what I do for a living. And uh, also I think it'll just be really rewarding to, to work with the kids at the school and uh, hopefully teach them a thing or two, albeit only I'm only there for a short amount of time. So I'll have to get to work pretty quickly. But, um, yeah, if, if I can leave them with a little bit of something and a, uh, whether it's teaching them about, you know, work ethic in, in everything you do, um, teach them how to kick a footy, how to how to say a few more words in English. Any little thing that I can do over there will, will be great reward for for both parties. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the opportunity. Uh, it's, you should be commended for it. As I said, uh, a lot of players do a lot of things in their off season, but when you're um, stepping up to do two weeks of charity, helping teaching kids uh, and helping them get access to literacy and music and and taking a share in as well, um, you, you should be commended for that, mate. Uh, let's talk a, a little bit of footy. Um, the finish to the season this year for the Lions, those incredible wins over Richmond and Melbourne, wouldn't have been what you would have liked against Geelong um, in the prelim. What was the wash-up and the wrap-up for the club uh, after that? Uh, yeah, we were, we were pretty disappointed. We obviously um, had a really good couple of weeks before that and then we weren't able to deliver on what we wanted to do against the Pats, but as we probably saw in the, the following week, a pretty formidable side and they're the benchmark of the comp at the moment, so we'll go away and look at what we have to do to improve on on our efforts last year, and hopefully we can tinker with a few things and come back bigger and better next year. Uh, congratulations on your second place in the Merritt Murray Medal, um, Lockie Neal getting uh, another one. Uh, looked like it was a pretty there was a bit of emotion around the night too. They're always a fantastic night. Uh, the Brisbane Lions best and fairest, having been to a couple uh, in my time. Um, Mitch Robinson's speech I thought was brilliant and I don't know if enough people know about the role that he's played in, in helping setting up that, that family environment that the club has and, um, and the culture within the club now. And when you got up there from uh, at the end of 2016 and you and Jared Berry and, and uh, after that Cam Rayner and then I think before you, Reese Matheson, um, am I right in saying that um, Mitch and his family really did open up their house to all the young guys. That became the place that you all congregated and family dinners. And every time I'd see on Instagram, there was a ton of you around there. Um, 
you must be sad to see him go, but can you just talk to us about the, the impact that he's had on you and a lot of the guys who, who came up and came from other states uh, to the Brisbane Lions? Yeah, definitely. I, I remember when I first got there with, I moved in with him for a little while. So to do that as an older guy with a family is a pretty uh, unbelievable effort to start. And yeah, we went over for a few dinners and he was always the first bloke that would be getting around us younger guys and uh, helping us out as were a lot of the other the other boys as well. That, that's probably where I knew that I'd landed at a pretty pretty awesome place, even though the results weren't there at the time on field. Um, but, yeah, he, he's been an amazing clubman. Uh, he, you know, he brings his family along to a lot of events and he, he really leads the way in that aspect. And then um, on the field, you, you saw what he gave. He gives 110%. Um, I was locked locked next to him, so (laughs) the energy that he brought into the club and, um, you know, the amount of passion he showed when the boys were down and we'd had a bad loss, he's the first guy that's that's there and trying to lift everyone up, which will be something that I think we'll miss a lot, but hopefully, I reckon Darcy Will might might step into that role, which will be be nice, Um, but there's no doubt Robbo will be missed and his family as well, hopefully they can stick around and, and be around the club a little bit more, but... Who knows? We're not sure what he's going to do, and I'm sure that um, you know him and his family will a really great chapter in the next part of their lives. Um, speaking of human cluggage from the Brisbane Lions, is uh, your best mate Jared Berry okay? That brother Tom is heading down the highway to the Gold Coast Suns. I thought it was great recruiting. We speak about it a lot that when you and and Jared, who are great mates, got drafted to Brisbane together, and then just to make sure that. Uh, Jared didn't go anywhere, and 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 on rights too, because Tom, I think, is going to be a very, very good player. Tom comes to the club as well. Is is Jared all right? Yeah, he'll be all right. I think, obviously, there will be a little bit of sadness there because they were at boarding school together, and then they've moved up to to Brisbane together and spent probably four or five of the the last um, last six years, I think, it is living together. Um, yeah, he'll be he'll be disappointed losing lose him, but at the same time, I think the opportunity that Tommy's got to to go down there and um, and play and and get out as well and probably probably branch out from Bez a little bit. Um, it'll be it'll be great for him, and we really hope that he goes well. He's been awesome for our club, but probably hasn't got the opportunity he would have wanted. But um, that's unfortunately part of it when your team's going really well and, and our injury rate has been great the last. Um, three or four years, so yeah, we're all we're all sad to lose Tommy, but we're also very very happy for him and the opportunity he's going to get down at Gold Coast. Hugh is a established star within the team now. Um, we know that some players take quite an active role in the trade period, whether it's uh, touching base with players that the club are interested in and and getting involved uh, in that process. Um, do you have any involvement in whether it be you know bringing? Josh Dunkley to the club, which he's committed to say that he wants to go to the Brisbane Lions now. Have you um, have you had anything to do with Jack Gunston? Are you already having chats to Will Ashcroft and Jasper Fletcher, who we know that the club are keen to match any bids for uh, in the draft? Do you, do you involve yourself in that space at all yet? Um, not too much. I mean, I, I, I live with uh, Will Ashcroft when he came up for a little bit, so keep in touch with him via text just every now and then to, to congratulate him really on how good a year he's had and um, you know, hopefully we can we can land him. So I look forward to that happening. And Jasper as well, he's around the club um, a fair bit. So yeah, just chats here and there. But as for the other two, I sort of I sort of leave that to the Dom and 
and the guys a bit higher up. And if, if they need us to flick a message or whatever, just to mm. see how they're going, then we'll do that. But that's about as far as it goes, to be honest. And um, yeah, I'm actually back on back on the farm in Warrnambool, hence the poor reception. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm a far away from it all. I'm just letting them do the work and enjoying a bit of time away from footy. You're doing very well. The reception's holding up fine. Um, I, if I throw any curly ones at you, I'll know that, oh, sorry, the reception's going a little bit. Yeah. Um, th- yeah, th- it, it must be exciting, though, to think, okay, so we've got a best and fairest winner for a top eight side, Josh Dunkley, uh, if the deal can get done coming our way. We've got a three-time premiership hawk who's capable of kicking 40-plus goals in a year, slotting into our already very potent forward line, your top two in the te- in the competition for scoring this season, and then add ready-made Will Ashcroft, who you've seen firsthand uh, how he goes about it, and Jasper Fletcher's uh, tip for big things as well. That that just um, must have you rubbing your hands together. Yeah, definitely. It's it's super exciting. I think we showed this year that we're we're at the point now as a team where it's just finding those extra little one-two percenters that uh, get you over the line. And I think Jack Gunston, uh, the the leadership that he'll bring to our forward line will be will be awesome. And, um, we've got a lot of talent throughout our whole team, but just to get another opinion or view on things and how we can best work together to to keep the goals, I guess, um, which is what you're ultimately trying to do as a forward line, but but also defend um, while you're doing that. That'll be something that I think he'll really be able to help us with. And um, Josh Dunkley looks like an extreme professional player. He'll bring some some running power to our group, which I think will be great for our midfield. So, uh, yeah, it's it's exciting. It's it's awesome to bring in new players, but but as we all know, you, you've got to you've got to get to work once that hopefully happens and make the most of it because you know, it doesn't matter who you've got in your team, how much talent you've got in there. You at the end of the day, the team that clicks best and, and works together, um, you know, the best at the end of the year seems to be the team that, that gets it done and wins the premiership, which is what everyone's aiming to do. Hugh, just a couple more from me. Um, a lot of talk around equalisation and destination clubs and people getting up in arms at Geelong look like they're going to bring in uh, three first-rounders, uh, former first-rounders as players, but also now we pick seven because they did the Jack Bowes deal. And as people get upset about that, but Brisbane's become a destination club as well. We're only... Five years ago, uh, a bit more than five years ago, players couldn't get out of there quick enough. But then uh, yourself and, 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 a, and a large group who have come up there have really made a home there. Uh, and now, you, every year, there's another player putting their hand up and saying, actually, uh, I'm keen to get to Brizzy. Explain to people why Brisbane is a destination club. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I, I think, well, I've seen you know both sides of it when I first arrived. It probably wasn't that at all. And... And now it's really probably from 2019 or 2018 when we got Charlie and and then Locke and Link and those guys started coming. It yeah, it's really really exciting for the place. I, I think well, Brisbane we've obviously got the weather. That's that's amazing, and it's not a footy state, so um, you can probably get out a little bit more and enjoy a little mm. bit more privacy at times. Uh, but then also I think it's a credit to you know the organisation itself and. Swanee, uh, Nobs when he was here, um, Fags for setting up a, a place where people really want to come and work. And I think, yeah, pe- people can see when a club's happy and when people there are happy. And that's definitely the case at Brisbane where we love playing footy. We love getting out there and we're all really good mates. I mean, we're, we're such a tight group, um, which 
which obviously trans, translates to on-field performance. Um, so I think there are a few things that factor in. But the, but the main one, I, I think, is the culture of the club and the leadership that we've got there at the moment. It's Yeah, it's really solid and it uh, means that players from the outside probably see that and want to be a part of it. You mentioned Chris Fagan, Hugh, and I don't expect you in any way, shape or form to speak to the allegations that have been levelled there and it's a very serious situation that's unfolding and it will take its course and uh, there's an inquiry that will begin soon. So I'm not expecting you to talk about that. But just Chris Fagan standing down, uh, what effect has that had on you and and the other players uh, at at the club? How's that been handled um, and and how's that been felt? Yeah, obviously... Um, for the players, it's a it's a fair shock and uh, it's disappointing to see. But at the minute, we haven't missed any um, any coaching because we've all gone away and we're all doing our own thing at the moment. There's boys on holidays, there's boys at home. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that all plays out once we return to to the club. And I'm sure it's something that the Lions and Swanee and all of our um, all of our officials up there are, are trying to trying to work out and handle but mm. yeah we we supported we supported him when it all happened um, we supported all of our indigenous boys and um yeah we'll just have to wait and see how it how it all ends up i've, I've heard what sort of charlie cameron's had to say about it and, and i've seen you know chris fagan marching with the indigenous players and a, and a large group of you at black lives matter and um, I, I know that for different players he has been different things in his time uh, up there and father figure gets thrown around a lot um again we're obviously very conscious of the seriousness of the allegations and not being dismissive of that at all. But just from a personal experience, what's he been to you? Yeah, he's been nothing but nothing but great ever since I got up there. Um, you know, he's all about building the relationships with all the boys, and you can see that from the outside. Um, yeah, we, you know, you whenever you're going through a tough time, he's always the first one to wrap his arms around you and and help you out. So. Everything we've seen up here has been been great, and um, yeah, as I said before, it's disappointing to see what's come out. But uh, there's nothing we can do about it now. We just have to have to let it all unfold and, yeah. and see what happens after that. Uh, Huey, appreciate your, your, your candor there. Uh, Gary and Tim would be really disappointed with you if I didn't ask you what your farm down there. They're they're they're. Well, I'll say hobby farmers. They might get offended by that, but they're obsessed with farming, um, at tractors and whatnot. So the family farm in Warrnambool, uh, what are you doing there? Uh, yeah, just not too much, to be honest. I'm not, not great on the, on the work front. <laughs> um, back and try and relax a little bit and uh, do a bit of training. But I've been out once or twice just on the motorbikes and had a ride around and just getting some fresh air and some space. So I really enjoy. What are your family um, farm? What, 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 what are you running there? Yeah, we're dairy. Yeah. Okay. So Christmas day, cause we say they don't miss a day. We're usually out there as a family, um, doing the milkings then because everyone else is away. So that's when I, that's when I get the hands dirty and do a little bit. Uh, yeah, no, nah, it's all, it's all going well here and, it's just good to get back and, and relax for a bit. The other two questions I ask are what breed of cow and what kind of tractor? So I'm just ticking these off because I'll, I'll probably get in trouble if I don't. <laughs> so we've got the Frisian cows. Yes. Um, which are the black and white cows. And we have John Deere's. There yeah. we go. John Deere tractors. Job done at my much. end. <laughs> hey, just uh, let people know as well. So Hugh McCluggage is, is doing something really extraordinary in his off-season. Two weeks volunteering uh, at a school that's been set up in Nepal by World Youth 
international. He's going to share his knowledge for passion of music and sports and help teach literacy to kids who have not had access to that kind of education. Uh, it's a major campaign. We're raising funds to do it as well. So, Hugh, where can people go? Uh, apparently, it costs $100 to provide one child access to sports and creative arts programs at the World Youth International School in Nepal. Tax-deductible donations can be placed via... Uh, so you can go to the World Youth International website and there'll be a link on there. Otherwise, my Instagram has a link in the bio and my LinkedIn also has a fair information on it, um, which is just humor cluggage. So, yeah, there's plenty of plenty of ways to jump on and any, any bit of support is appreciated. Um, so if you just want to have a look and see what I'm getting up to, then... That's also, that's also completely fine and, and appreciate it well. So thanks very much, Sammy, for having me on and letting me read about it. No, that's absolutely fine. We look forward to following the journey, mate, and can't wait to hear about it uh, when you get back after watching you do it uh, while you're there. Thanks for joining us. We'll let you get back to your R&R before you head off to Nepal. Thank you, mate. Too easy. Cheers. Uh, Hugh McCluggage, Brisbane Lions superstar. So the website is worldyouth.org.au, fundraising 100 bucks to provide a child access to sports and creative arts program at the World Youth International School in Nepal. So Hugh McCluggage heading over there for two weeks to volunteer, teaching 650 students. And he's going to take a share in as well, uh, which is good stuff too. So um, if you want to find out more about World Youth International and the work that they do, providing op- volunteering opportunities to more than 4,000 Australians and what they've been able to do to help uh, more than 40,000 people around the globe. We're going to put this chat up on the podcast, uh, the Sporting Capital page, sen.com.au, but uh, that's brilliant from Hugh uh, and should be fully commended for what he's doing there. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Harcourt's open line is always open uh, and you can text in on the 40 Wings temper text 0433 Aaron in Broadmeadow, stay right there. We'll- Uh, always here to take your calls on the Harcourt's open line. Uh, Aaron in Broadmeadows has been waiting patiently to have a yarn. G'day, Aaron. Uh, how are we doing? Um, I just wanted to express my disappointment at the ICC. They're locking the fans out of every single World Cup warm-up match. I think it's a real shame. Is, oh, I hadn't heard that. Um, what, uh, yeah, when you're saying things. they're locking them out, like so what, which warm-up games are you talking about? Every single warm-up game for the 2022 T20 World Cup is going to be a lockout. Um, they're going to be televised, but behind closed doors. So no fans are allowed to When you to say attend. warm-up, do you mean the the, um, the the qualifying to get in? Like West Indies haven't qualified yet. They're going to play Namibia and Scotland and Ireland and all those. Do you mean those? No, I mean the practice matches. So the, every team plays um, yes. two or three practice matches. So you're they're not including Australia, West Indies. Crowd. Australia, West Indies last night had a crowd... Um, their games against England will have a crowd as well. I hadn't read that. I'll have to go check that out, Aaron. Have you seen that? Where did you see that reported? Um, I rang the MCC and the Gabba, and they both said the same thing. Uh, The ICC had dictated that no crowds are allowed at the uh, warm-up game. So Australia is playing the West Indies in a World Cup uh, warm-up game at the Gabba, and it's being played at a closed stadium. Last night wasn't part of the World Cup warm-ups. No, I know. They're internationals, but they're part of Australia's preparation for... Uh, the World Cup. Oh, I didn't know that. I'll have to check that out, Aaron. I appreciate you putting us on to that. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it's disappointing, isn't it? Um, when fans are, are wanting to get to cricket, I would have thought that we want fans going to cricket. Um, good news if you're a Melbourne Storm fan. This has been a long time in the making. It has been a long time in the speculation 
uh, and a lot of the uh, the boffins uh, in the rugby league world were convinced that Cam Munster was going to sign with the NRL's newest team, the Dolphins, on a $5.6 million four-year deal. Um, we've got a press release that's just come through, though, from the Melbourne Storm. Uh, so instead of going to the Redcliffe Dolphins for four years for $5.6 million, Cameron Munster will be a Storm player for life, agreeing to a four-year extension. It'll see him remain at the Melbourne Storm until the end of 2027. He's informed the management of his decision to stay in the purple uh, just before he departs with the Australian team to head to England for the Rugby League World Cup. He said, I love the Melbourne Storm and I'm proud to be committing to the club for a further four years. The club has always been supportive of me, even through some of the more difficult times, and I appreciate Trippy. That's Matt Tripp, uh, who's been given high praise from James Hooper on Fox Sports about being the mastermind in negotiating this deal. Uh Justin, Frank and Craig uh, for giving me the time I needed to think through the decision with Bianca and my family. It's such an important decision for me. And in the end, Melbourne is where my heart is. Melbourne is where I want to play my footy. And Melbourne is the club I want to be part of for the rest of my career. I always wanted to be a one-club player. Storm gave me the chance to play NRL and the club had become a second home for me since making my debut. And it goes on as well. Um, But that is a a, a massive boom. Um, Boon? Boom, boom. That is just a huge win for the Melbourne Storm uh, in getting arguably the best player in the competition. Maybe James Tedesco. Um, but that is that is huge for the Melbourne Storm. And good to see him demonstrate the loyalty to them that they did to him because the James Hooper's reporting that it's a $4 million deal, um, whereas he could have earned $1.6 more if this story, if I'm reading this story correctly from James Hooper, on the Fox Sports website. So um, that's huge for the Melbourne Storm. Um, AFLW, the round is upon us. Um, round seven action of AFLW uh, is underway as of tomorrow night um, with St Kilda Carlton at RCA Stadium. Uh, we're going to speak to Joe Watton, uh, one of the lead callers for Channel 7's coverage of the AFLW on the other side of this on the Sporting Capital. Uh, Round seven of AFLW action starts tomorrow night. Uh, St Kilda and Carlton at RSEA Park. And then uh, that's at 6.10 and then at 8.10. The West Coast Eagles at Mineral Resources Park hosting uh, the Richmond Footy Club. Uh, Also this week, Sydney and Gold Coast. Adelaide and Frio, North Melbourne and Brisbane. Uh, that'll be a great clash. Uh, Hawthorne and Port Adelaide, Essen and Geelong, Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs, and Collingwood play the Giants. Um, one of Channel 7's lead callers. You'll hear her on Friday night. You've heard her on SEN and AFL Nation. Uh, an absolute star of a caller. And right across everything going on in the world of AFLW is Joe Watton. Hello, Joe. Hello, Sammy. You're too kind. Nice to chat to you. Lovely to chat to you too. Um, how have you made? What have you made of the first six rounds of this AFLW season? The four new teams have come in. The competition is uh, complete. Uh, every eighteen, every one of the eighteen teams has an AFLW side, and there's been some mixed performances and varied results. Um, what's your take been so far? Look, I think it had a different to me, and I think to many of the players involved, it had a really different feel at the start of the year. Not to discredit, obviously, all the other seasons, but now it, it feels complete that all the clubs are represented with a female side, um, which has been wonderful. On the flip side, you mentioned those differing results. I had a chat to a colleague the other day almost about the evolution of women's football at AFLW level. 
you might remember when it first kicked off, I think people were drawn to the fact it was almost like an old-style one-on-one competition, sort of a hark back to the 80s or 90s in the AFL system. And then since then, you've seen the evolution of, of athletes being involved in a program over time, so learning new things, spending time at the club. So I think what's shone out this season actually is the defensive units. You know, they have defensive systems like they do in the men's AFL. You know, it's a team defensive unit, and it's going to take some time for the offensive side of it to catch up to that. We have seen sides who are really trying to do that, like a GWS, and they're doing it against results, if you like, really trying to get that handball receive and that run. But it's going to take time, and, you know, both sides have been in it a long time. I mean, I've done a few Adelaide games. I've been to Adelaide a few times to see them. They really are a class above, not just in skill, but you can see they've had six or seven years doing pre-season and being athletes competing. So I think it's sort of, um, while it's great to have these new sides in, it's almost, in terms of performance, it probably looks like a little bit of a plateau this year. I think year on year we've sort of gone up and up, but this season, um, for me, it's that little, yeah, that little plateau as we get used to what the next, the next phase will be. We've got the defensive units in this season. I think the next phase will be that increased scoring. Um, Teams learning how to break down that defensive system, if you like. So uh, we're in obviously in season seven, and for the first time last week, we got the very first showdown. Um, 20,000 or more people at the Adelaide Oval, um, Adelaide and Port Adelaide. Erin Phillips up against her old side. There were a heap of different storylines in and around it. Unfortunately, Port Adelaide could only manage a three behind, so... um, Adelaide were just dominant. But just to be there, Joe, and you were calling the game with Channel 7, um, it was a, a special moment in history. Um, what are your recollections of the night? Look, it was fantastic. And even sort of, I guess, because I was covering the game, I was really watching the lead up and back and front across the papers during a, during the week in South Australia. We know they love their football. It was all about the showdown. The hotel I was at had a pre-AFLW showdown, cocktail special. The paper had a double spread with all the teams. And even, I mean, you might have seen the clip of Chad Corns talking to the Port Adelaide girls mm. and sort of saying the showdown's almost meant more to him in the rooms afterwards in a premiership. And you could see the way, I mean, Chelsea Randall came out and kicked the first goal. I think it was her second goal. The cel- She's not usually a celebrator. No. But the way you could just tell, she grabbed the jumper, it was like, she goes out 100% every game, but you could just tell there was that extra feeling, that extra spice in this one, which is fantastic that that sort of showdown rivalry is straight away in the women's. And obviously it'll take time for sort of the, the match-up to even up, but the feeling, the feeling was definitely there. And didn't the, um, the Adelaide crowd, you know, for both sides come in and, and support? It was fantastic. Uh, we're speaking to Channel 7's AFLW commentator, Joe Watton. Joe, the, the top four sides have all only lost one game this year. The, 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 the next four in the top eight have only lost two games for the year. It's an incredibly even season. Brisbane, Adelaide, Melbourne, Collingwood, the top four. Then the Kangas, Geelong, Western Bulldogs, Richmond. Just out of that top four, um, whose footy that you've seen do you feel like is competition best footy at the moment? Oh, look, I think it's Adelaide, but sometimes you do get swayed by the teams you've been out to see live, and I have seen Adelaide a few times um, live across the year. Look, they got beaten around one by Melbourne, who really set themselves to mm. that game after last season. Um, but, oh, look, Adelaide, I think, look the best, but, you know, come finals time, there's still a bit to go, but comes finals time, I guess it's anyone's game. And, I, I, and you know, and with those new scientists, here it is a 
an eight-team finals series. So there'll be a bit of push and shove in those, particularly those bottom four brackets, to secure that final spot. And we'll see sides who've never played finals four before get their um, first shot at it. Well, I wanted to speak to you about that. So Geelong and Richmond, who are now um, a few years in, to their AFLW journey. So Geelong have only lost two games for the year. They're four and two. They've only won four games over the last two years combined. Uh, and, and I think that if they win uh, another one, it'll, that would have equaled what they've won over the last three years. Um, so they're, 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 this is a great story for them. And they were, you know, they, it took a long time for them to be able to be you know, competitive, let alone to be where they are now. Um, and Richmond uh, had only won a couple more games in Geelong over the journey, and they find themselves... Uh, in the eight uh, as well. It, th- that's that must be really pleasing from a competition point of view. Um, but also too, um, if there was any worry about these the, the the expansion teams that have come in, we now have a a bit of a case study to see that it it won't take as long as maybe some thought for these teams to be competitive. I think so. I think Richmond, you can sort of see their progression year on year and this, mm. you know they may not have had the cattle early off but the style of play they've been able to progress to me Geelong is a bit of a, a surprise packet they've really jumped up this season they've always been strong defensively um but they've just had and it's and it's in-house and that's where they went early on they wanted to recruit girls who were mainly local from their local area um but the jump, you know, they lost a couple off-season too but their jump in their performance as I said they're very hard to score against um Prasparkas, Georgie Prasparkas in the middle has really been the shining light for me. But there's a few others who have stepped up too. Yeah, they've, they've probably been the biggest surprise packet in terms of improvement for me this year. And yeah, if they can secure a finals berth along with Richmond, um, yeah, it'll be pretty exciting. Uh, Gold Coast sitting three and three. Um, of the four new teams that have come in, so Sydney are yet to win a game and, and there's a few concerns for them. Um, they've conceded a lot and scored... Very little. They've had a couple of goalless games. But Hawthorne have got two in a row um, and, and come back from four goals down in both of those. Port Adelaide have got the one win. Uh, and Essendon are two and four. Um, what's in, who, who's impressed you from the new crop or the new four new teams? Look, yeah, Essendon came. They won the um, VFLW Premiership this year. So I sort of always knew they would have a, a, a bit in there, like sort of that strong core to build on. Um I have a bit of a, I mean, I'm a Hawthorne fan, but a bit of a flavour at Hawthorne too. My sister's one of the assistant coaches there. So I sort of got a, a read there. Um, it's really hard when you're an expansion side starting off. And even the, the last sort of couple of um, incarnations, if you like, really only North Melbourne has built a list with some really core experienced players. And that was because they had a connection through their VFL side with Melbourne Uni. It's really tough. When you're starting new, it's really tough. So I'm glad, look, I hope, Sydney get the win, you know, to get the monkey off the back. I'm glad all the others um, have had, you know, that joy, I guess, to get that first win out of the way. And they'll grow. I mean, you can see, I know at Hawthorne, you know, they've got a couple of players who'll probably be stars, uh, like Jazz Fleming, who's a 17-year-old, but they're built like pencils. <laughs> you know, they're yeah. still in high school. Yeah. Um, they haven't been elite athletes. So, you know, when you come up against the Hatchard and the Lags and Marinoff, it's, it's, I mean, it's really different and it's, it's probably no different to the men's. You know, you get some the guys who come out of the um, the NAB League sort of built, but others who take a few years to settle into the system. Yeah. Um, and obviously not being full-time athletes, it probably takes a little bit longer, to be honest. Um, just a couple of bits from a news point of view before we get your, your tips for this weekend. 
Um, there's going to be a lot spoken about this uh, and given the timing of things that have happened with, with Essendon as well, but um, the giant Sanin Zarika who missed the Pride round last year um, didn't want to wear the rainbow jumper, has uh, declared that she won't play in this year's Pride round as well. Last year um, it was said from the club that this had been discussed at length. There'd been a lot of consultation with her and the players, uh, the other players within uh, the Giants uh, who do identify as uh, LGBTQIA+. Um, but she has said, uh, as the first Australian Muslim woman in the AFLW, I've got a responsibility to represent my faith and my community. I respect people regardless of their sexual orientation. Um, this decision is extremely difficult and I appreciate the support of the AFL, the Giants and my teammates um, inclusion is about creating a space where people are able to respect their right to choose how they live their life as long as they don't advocate hate and division. So that was her statement in January. It looks like she's going to miss again uh, this year and, and this will be probably spoken about at, at, at great length. I think so. And look, you never want to see anyone miss a game of footy who loves footy. Um, but you can't discount, even she said in that statement, you know, she feels very strongly about representing her community um, and the... Uh, influence, I guess, from that side too, whether it's family, community, those sort of things, it's a lot to weigh up for a young athlete. Um, And I imagine it would have been a really difficult decision last season as it is this season. And I guess, as as all clubs do, you sort of support people to navigate their way through. It's not sort of as straightforward for everybody. Um, So it is, it's it's a difficult one, but I guess you can see both, well, I can see both sides. Mm. And... When you when you're in their um, demographic position and and they're trying to make real inroads within the Muslim community, um, I suppose I can I can understand not having been involved in those conversations. Maybe they're going okay. We're going to give a bit of leeway here, and and and, and but we we're trying to bring you along and your community along with us, and and hopefully we can if we show a bit of understanding this way, then we can get some back the other way, and we can get more women. Uh, from a Muslim background playing uh, in this sport, and then as time progresses, we'll we'll be able to help, you know, maybe not necessarily change those uh, harder line positions, but but certainly create more of an understanding to show that well, this is not about saying that if you play in this game, we're not respecting your religious view, but it's just that you're not disrespecting someone else's lifestyle, and and that would be what they were probably aiming to do, but th- that might take some time by the looks of it. And, and, and she was very at pains to point out that this is not about, um, this is not about discriminating against anyone. This is not about hating anyone. This is not about dividing anyone. Um, it's just, I will just step out of this. And I think you sort of wrapped it up perfectly. If we can get to that sort of place where it's sort of in, we say inclusive for everyone and it's not saying I'm this way or I'm that way but I support whatever your choices may be. Mm. I think that's I guess the end, the end goal mm. um, to bring everybody uh, along for the ride too. Yeah, uh, but from a purely football point of view, if just from purely football, um, you, 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 I'm sure there's teammates that are frustrated just from that point of view to say well, this, we're playing our we need you. You know, we need you this week. So I'd imagine this has been very, very complicated terrain that they navigate as a club because you could understand teammates say, I understand all of that and, and I respect all of that, but we need you out here um, for the game itself, um, for, to, to, get, to try and get a win. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not easy uh, to navigate this space and uh, I know that there'll be some pretty strong views either way, especially given the, uh, the events of Essendon, but I think if people can't see the difference between this and that, then... 
Um, it'll take more than me trying to explain it. Um, Joe, the Melbourne mixed in here uh, re-signing. Um, it's, it's he's been a bedrock there. It's um, been a really solid um, and, and really stable um, footy club. The Melbourne Footy Club still searching for that for that first premiership, but um, that, that's a good news uh, item for them today. Another couple of years. It certainly is, and um, you could see in some of the social media footage it was sort of lifted aloft by the playing group. He's very much loved down there at the D's. And you said sort of searching for that first premiership. They've been on the cusp um, a couple of times, and they have that core group that's still together from the beginning um, that is desperate, desperate to win that flag. Um, So, you know, I think they believe they have um, the right people in place to do that, so I guess it remains to be seen. Uh, now, Joe, we'll get your tips. Which game are you on, please? St Kilda and Carlton or West Coast Richmond with Channel 7? I'm um, doing St Kilda Carlton tomorrow night, and I think... Well, this is an interesting one for both yeah. sides. Carlton um, had a big turnover from last season, but yep. it's... I guess some may say they've still underperformed, but they've sort of had, I guess, reasons why those players leaving and they've had some injury issues too. Um, so this is quite an even an evenly matched contest, I think. And at home, I think the Saints might get the chocolates. Uh, my computer just decided to go away from me. Uh, from uh, West Coast and Richmond, your tip? Yeah, I think West, Richmond will get it done. They've um, got a good feeling around the group at the moment. Uh, the next game, Sydney and the Gold Coast. This uh, The Gold Coast 3-3, three and three, Sydney still yet to, to get a win. I think the Gold Coast, they're a little bit up and down the Gold Coast, but um, too good for too good for the Swans, I think. Adelaide Dockers. Yeah, it's Adelaide for me. Dockers is one of those sides that's probably surprisingly where they, what are they, 16th, 17th, 11th? They're sort of um, probably the best side that's sat that low, but I think Adelaide will get the win. Uh, North Melbourne, Brisbane. This would be a great game, I reckon, at Arden Street. This will be a great game, um, a real test for North. If they're really thinking they're going to be contenders this year, this is one they'd like to put in the book. Um, and a challenge for Brisbane, but um, I'm going to tip I'm going to tip the lines. Uh, Hawthorne, Port Adelaide at uh, Skybus Stadium. Yeah, this is down the road from me, uh, Saturday night. I think Hawthorne will make it, what, three in a row? But it's also a game Port will think that's quite winnable. Um but for me, the Hawks, I think they're, yeah, well, they're a little bit of momentum. But this will be quite an even contest, I think. Uh, then there's the Sunday games, Joe, and we uh, haven't seen the teams for them. And I've just looked at the, uh, the time and said, I'm just going to about to crash into an ad break. So I'm going to love you and leave you. Thanks for being with me. I, I greatly appreciate it. Pleasure, Sammy. Always lovely talking to you. Uh, Joe Watton, you'll uh, see and hear her on Channel 7's coverage of the AFLW, calling with Jason Bennett and the team, uh, doing the Saints and the Blues uh, on Friday night. Do not miss that. Uh, we'll be back just to tidy up the air on the other side of this. Uh, we're going to talk some Bathurst uh, on the other side of 9 o'clock. Michael Lamentano, who's a motorsport uh, writer extraordinaire, he's written a great article uh, on the Fox Sports website about uh, the end of an era that's coming up this weekend at Mount Panorama the final time that you'll see the Holden going around the mountain. It's rich history uh, at the most prestigious um, supercars event on the calendar. Uh, so we're going to get him on the line just to have a chat uh, about that. So if you've got uh, a Holden story or a Holden win, 
that sits out in your mind. If you're a rev head, if you're a V8, if you're a supercar enthusiast and you wanted to just fire through some of the Holden's greatest moments on the mountain, uh, please feel free to do so uh, on the 40 Wings Temper Tech 0433 98 11 16, Illawarra 65, Southeast Melbourne, Phoenix 48, all Illawarra at the moment. Uh, first minute of the fourth quarter there, back after this on the Sporting Capital. But Michael Laminato, uh, who's been a good friend of the show uh, over the journey, uh, he's the person I turn to whenever we want to sp- speak motorsport. He's a freelance F1 journo, but he covers all things supercars as well. He's written a story uh, on the Fox Sports website today that's really worth a read. If you're even just a passive fan of the V8 supercars, um, all eyes turn to Bathurst this week, the most iconic race Uh, on the supercars calendar, but it's the end of an era and the last time we'll see the Holdens going around the mountains. So to tell us uh, all about it and just to take a little trip down memory lane with us, uh, Michael Laminato has been good enough to join us. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. How are you going? Uh, Very well. I loved reading this today. I'm not a a massive um, motorsport enthusiast. I've got a lot of respect for it, though. Um, Certainly the iconic races, uh, whether it be Formula One or in the supercars. And uh, there is so much history around this race, and a very big part of it has been Holden. And that history uh, and that part that they've played is coming to an end this weekend. I'm sure there's a real touch of sadness. Yeah, there absolutely is. And it's a really interesting time as well because a lot of people might be reading this or thinking about this being Holden's last run at at Bathurst and its last season, in fact, in the Supercars Championship and wondering uh, why we're hearing this when, of course, we know Holden pulled out of Australia a couple of years ago. It's sort of a long echo of this uh, this long-running withdrawal, if you like. Of course, uh, Holden is no longer in Australia, but the the silhouette continues to be run on the current chassis before the regulations change next year. So it's been a very long goodbye indeed, but it is still the spectre now that from next year we won't even be seeing Commodores running along the mountain. And that is a really long-running history. You know, we've seen Holden's, win- Holden's winning there since the 1960s, the Commodore slightly more recently than that. And it will be quite a change because as much as supercars racing or the Australian Touring Car Championship hasn't always just been Holden versus Ford as we've become used to it, that really is the foundation of, of touring car racing in Australia, partly because they were two of the, pre, of the preeminent manufactured cars in Australia, among several others. But it's just really the backbone of the tribalism of supercars. And sport is at its best tribalism, I think, whether it's football or rugby or whatever. And mm. that's the same for motorsport. And that element is one that we... Well, it will be interesting, you know. It'll be interesting to see what it's like next year. But I suspect it's certainly one that will need to be recovered, I suppose, or something that we may, may in fact, come to miss. Yeah, it, it, it really was part of the almost establishing the culture, the, the I'm trying to find the word, but that, but that you know, the trouble you speak of, Ford versus Holden, it wouldn't be what it is today, uh, supercars, I wouldn't have thought, without that. Yeah, you know, it's something I've been thinking about in writing that, and even just over the course of the year, knowing this was going to be coming up at the end of the year, that... It's a form of participation, I think, that, that is pretty rare in motorsport. You know, if you think about Formula One, for example, it's pretty, you're pretty unlikely to drive a Ferrari. And you're certainly not going to be driving a Ferrari that you're going to be racing in Formula One. But you probably grew up in Australia as a Holden or a Ford person, certainly in a particular era when they were the dominant cars that people would buy as consumers. And you'd have your Holden or Ford on the driveway, and houses are identified by whether they were Holden or Ford driving uh, households. It was a real 
entryway into this form of racing that we don't get with so many other sports or certainly other categories of motorsport. I think that's really a big part of what made it uh, or what really allowed the Supercars Championship to sort of burrow into the consciousness, if you like. And that's something that I, that I will be really interested to see how it continues on in, in following years. Because, of course, we've still got Holden and then Chevrolet next year, uh, as it will be. But it's the Mustang and the Camaro. Now, the Mustang, okay, it's kind of, you, you, you see it a little bit around. It's not mm. a super common car. But then the Camaro, you won't even be able to buy it, or you can't buy it at the moment anymore either. And, you know, okay, that's not what motorsport has to be. It doesn't have to be racing consumer cars. But... That is a big part of the Supercars Championship up until now. So it is certainly going to be a new era when we get to the Gen 3 era next season. I think um, I'm reading through your story, and and this stats, I think, sums it up, that Holden's won 35 times at Bathurst, more than half of all Australian Touring Car Championship races ever held there. Um, 590 race victories, 22 championships. When you were going back and researching this, Michael Laminato, um, were there Holden memories that stood out to you uh, above all others? Well, look, I mean, it's obviously a lot older championship than it is than, than I am, I've got to say. So a lot of the memories or a lot of the, the stories, let's say, of Holden predate me a little bit. You know, Peter Brock is synonymous with Bathurst itself and so many victories there. Even Mark Scaife, you know, for example, more recent memories and that pretty logical transition there. And then we can talk about you know, Lounsey, you can even talk about the modern drivers now with Shane Van Gisbergen going for another victory this weekend as one of the favourites and really the, the totem holder now of Holden with Triple Eight, which was formerly or one of the Holden factory teams, let's say. it's What's really interesting is you can really draw a specific thread from the beginning to the end. Of course you can when they've won so many. It's not so many years between drinks for, for Holden, but I think it's really interesting that you can go back that far and you can have generational stories, you know, you might have your story of seeing whatever Holden driver win when, when you first saw Bathurst or maybe even when you went to Bathurst for the first time, but probably then your parents would as well. And maybe even your grandparents. There's a really clear thread that, that transcends the sport in that way. So it's more than just, I think, one memory, but just the fact that it's, it's been a constant. Yeah, I mean, when I was growing up, uh, you know, I was born in 81. So, I mean, that era was really dominated by Brocky. I mean, 80, 82, 83, 84... Uh, 87. So I, like many, um, that's who I think of um, when I think of Bathurst. But, you know, I mentioned Scaife and the 91, 92. Um, and, you know, in recent times, it's been, you know, Craig Lowndes, 18, 15, 10. Um, but it's, it's always felt like, it's always felt like it was Holden's race and Ford fans might not like that, but it has always felt <laughs> like it's been Holden's. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, it's because they have such an incredible record here. If you look at the overall records for the championship, it's actually pretty even, all things considered, between, well, Holden and Ford as the dominant manufacturers, then you've got your odd wins for various other manufacturers. Both wins and championships here, they're pretty closely contested. But when you do talk about Bathurst as a track, as one of probably the longest-serving track on the calendar, it was sort of, I think, the eighth or ninth Australian Touring Car Championship Bathurst turned up on the calendar. It's been there pretty much forever since the 60s. But Holden has just dominated. It's exactly right. It's sort of an outlier statistically like that. And it's probably an interesting question to wonder why exactly that is. You know, it is the, the, the premier race. It's only become the premier race on the Australian racing category. And it's sort of the one you want to win if you can't win the championship overall. And so there's always an element of when you're setting up your car, even when you're designing your car, well, you want it to go well at Bathurst. And there's also, Bathurst is also a track that sort of rewards a little bit of everything. You've got a bit of power there. Then up the mountain, of course, it's a completely different kind of challenge. 
But it is interesting to reflect on the fact that, yes, Holden, for one reason or another, has just always owned this track when it hasn't always owned the championship as a whole. And, I mean, that is an obvious legacy that, okay, maybe theoretically, statistically, can be caught over time. We've had another 35 years. There are going to be 35 more Bathurst winners. But, you know, that will always be known as a, as a track that was dominated by that manufacturer. I, I will never forget 91, 92, though, especially 91 when Scave came in the skyline. I mean, that... And again, I'm a pa- like I'm passive to it. Like I, I haven't. I've I've taken. I've I've come in and out of it. You know, I tend to have a little look at Bathurst and and follow from a distance. But even I can remember vividly just the like there was anger, palpable anger about the fact that Nissan had come in. And then when they won it, and then when mm. they won it twice, um, I'll 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 never forget. And and because Mark Scaife's got such a history with Holden, but when he when that skyline, uh, it just it, it never looked right. Did it? it never felt like it was yeah. supposed to be. But you know that goes back, I think, as well to the fact that a skyline is a car you can see. Like you have this real connection to the mm. cars you're seeing racing around the mountain. You know, it's not just sort of arbitrary teams. Now the teams themselves have their own histories, of course, but they are intrinsically linked to these brands that you have a really like a, a, a household connection to, I think a car that you probably could buy. You can go buy the cars that would win at Bathurst and that wouldn't be such a super weird thing. Okay. You may not get the absolute sporting version of whatever you're going to buy, but it's not unusual to be able to live out that uh, passion for motorsport through something you can do every day. And I think that's why suddenly you get a switch of manufacturers, a switch of teams. Even if we think this year with WAU now switching uh, from Holden to Ford for next year. Now, as we've talked about, well, there's no Holden next year. They're switching from GM to, to Ford, and the connection is, I don't want to say more tenuous than it used to be, but it's certainly not the same as it used to be. But that did rile up. I was really interested to see so much sentiment among people who still feel that connection, the longer-term fans particularly of the series, and that shows that that is still running through the veins of some, and how that translates into the new era is going to be really fascinating. Um Dick Johnson, uh, that name also synonymous with, with Holden, also synonymous, um, well, and Ford uh, as well. But um, uh, now about to have with, and I'm reading this from your article, Dick Johnson Racing is about to have its 1,000th uh, race uh, on this weekend as well. It's coinciding in uh, with with this end of the Holden era. Um, Dick Johnson's role in all this having been on both sides of that Ford and, and Holden rivalry. Yeah, it's, it, I was trying to figure out. It's not really a century, is it? It's a 10 century. I'm sure there's a word for it that hasn't struck me, but a thousand races is an awful lot. It's the most of any team in the series. And I do really love as well, okay, there's a lot of talk about, yes, okay, there's Holden's last Bathurst or whatever, but he's come out and he said, well, yeah, no, I'm, of course I'm going to spoil the party. It's my job to. I'm going to win it for Ford. Uh, he's the chief rival, of course. The DJ has the chief rival to Triple Eight this season. They haven't really quite been able to hold a candle, at least to Shane Van Gisbergen for a lot of the year. But it would be, I mean, incredible in its own right. You know, yes, of course, we've been talking a lot about Holden for obvious reasons, but a 1,000 races is certainly no milestone to sniff at. It would be an incredible result for him to be able to walk mm. away from this one with a win in a difficult season, hopefully springboarding into a better season next year. Uh, but this sort of, this is sort of what I think the series needs to look towards the future years, really. Because if we do move away from that, really rock-solid connection between the cars that you can drive and, and the cars that you see racing around places like Bathurst. And admittedly, the cars you are actually seeing racing around Bathurst only superficially resemble those you can buy because underneath they're completely different. 
then I like to see that these teams can come to the fore and really establish identities. And DJI is one of those teams that already exists like that. I mean, there's a thousand races, of course, you can't help that. And I, I do like, of course, that so many of the teams are represented by the guys who absolutely run them, sometimes in the team names themselves. And I think seeing those rivalries flourish now, that maybe it's not so obvious that you have Holden versus Ward, is going to be a really big part, a really valuable part of supercars. I like to see that history growing older, and, and we're seeing that happen now this weekend. Um, yeah, so as a three-time winner in a Ford for Dick Johnson, um, it, it only makes sense that, that he's there to try and ruin the party for them again on what's going to be a bit of a <laughs> celebration. And we forget that he actually started his career way back in, I think it was the 60s in a Holden before he started that long um, and very fruitful relationship with uh, the Ford. So when you're wrapping all this up, Michael Laminato, a freelance uh, motorsport journo, has been good enough to come on. His article on the Fox Sports website um, just talking about the end of the Holden era. Um, what do you think you'll be feeling when you watch it all unfold? Um, and, and interestingly enough, Garth Tander, four-time winner, um, set the fastest time uh, today. Um, we haven't really, you know, Garth Tander, for all his success there, it, it's not success of really recent years, uh, unless I'm forgetting um, oh, 2020. So yes, he has. It was sorry, 2011 yeah. to 2020 was the was the big jump from when he, from his first and last. But to to see him in in the Holden and he had the fastest lap of the day. What do you think you're going to be feeling watching the Holdens go around the last time? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think it's really going to depend on where they're placed in the field, isn't it? I mean, there are enough of them that you think they're going to have a pretty good crack. And I think some of the favourites would certainly be Holdens, whether it is the. Uh, Van Gisbergen, uh, Tander lineup. You've also got Lowndes and Wincup both racing again in Holden's, having another crack at glory there. And I'm really interested to see how the Wincup and Feeney uh, teammate or co-driver relationship goes because it's a really interesting one. Essentially, team owner and young driver, the pass, literal passing of the baton there. But, I mean, if they're going to do well, then, of course, there's going to be a little bit of a fuzzy feeling there, isn't it, if you're watching them? And if they're not, well, maybe we'll just talk about their last race at a couple of races' time and think that that's going to be the great farewell for them. But, I mean, the race weekend itself, I think, is going to be really interesting because we saw a little bit of it today, but not so much in the practice sessions. But the rain's really due to come down. And that's going to completely change the complexion of this race compared to what we've seen throughout practice so far. It's going to really put an emphasis on thinking on your feet as you work your way through strategy over what will, I mean, if it's raining a lot, it could well be seven hours or more as a race. So I think that's what's going to be really fascinating is seeing these teams sort of navigate through that and, and who might be feeling the weight of that history. You know, these couple of these teams have represented Holden in a much more intimate way than others. And whether when we get to that last hour and victory might be on the cards, whether that's going to sort of cloud or affect their thinking. They're professionals, I'm sure, and cloud their thinking, but that will certainly play a part in, in how that last hour unfolds. Uh, Michael, just a last question, because it's coming through uh, off our text machine here. We get real-time feedback. And there's just a question um, that's being asked. What's the future look like then for, for the supercars? With Holden going and where does the rivalry come and how do we stir up that kind of tribal emotion uh, in the sport? What does the future look like? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, it's sort of... I, I've got suspicions in that, I, or I rather I'd like to see that the, these teams come more to the fore rather than just being Holden and Ford teams, just being teams in their own right. But it's sort of kind of not up to me to begin with because it's really up to the fans. You know, fans are, are fans yeah. of supercars for certain reasons. Some of them will be fans because they're Holden or Ford fans, but they don't just watch supercars racing because they just want to see Holden win or whatever. You've obviously got to be a fan of, of the racing itself. And 
it should be pleasing to see that the Gen 3 rules that come in next year would improve that racing spectacle, and that hopefully means the rivalries will naturally flourish. Now, at the moment, we're not having, let's be honest, a fantastic season overall. Shane Van Gisbergen is dominating. He could even win the championship this weekend, in fact, and that could be a storyline in its own right. But if we get closer racing from next season, then we'll see rivalries form in their own right, and, and the rivalries is really what you need. You know, holding the fort at the end of the day is just a rivalry. And if we get that rivalry between teams in their own right or drivers in their own right, then that's what really drives sport. You know, it's got to be competitive. So hopefully that's where the future of the supercars lies and just a super competitive era of, of drivers racing each other, coming up through those junior ranks and, and doing battle in the supercars at the top tier at the end of the day because that's what sport needs. So as long as we get that, I'm sure the series will be fine with or without, weird as it is to say, Holden versus Ford. Michael, always so generous with your time. Love your work. Article was brilliant. Uh, thanks for coming on and chatting more about it and enjoy uh, all the action from Mount Panorama this weekend. Thanks again. Thanks, mate. No problem. Anytime. Uh, Michael Laminato, make sure you get on the Fox Sports website. He's a freelance uh, motorsport rider and talking about the end of the whole era, which will uh, see the giant of Australian motorsport heading around the mountain one final time. Uh, when we come back, uh, Adam Kosnick's going to preview uh, this round one of the A-League season, which is upon us tomorrow night. Well, after a three-year or two-year hiatus due to COVID, uh, the Hockey One League is back in action, and it started last week with a bang, and we are very proud to be partnering with Hockey One, uh, our TV team, Rainmaker, are doing all the production. I'm looking forward to being able to call some games once Trade Week period finishes up, and uh, it is an absolute thrill to have one of Australia's greatest ever keepers uh, on the line, two-time Olympian, two-time Com Games gold medalist, Rachel Lynch, who's uh, in the goals for the hockey for hockey one club Melbourne, who uh, the women had a good win last week. The lads not so much. Uh, tell us uh, a little bit more about hockey one and how the season got underway. Rachel, hello to you. Hey, how are you going? Very well, thanks. Um, round one in the books. There's a few upsets. Um, we'll talk about all that in a bit more. But just for those who aren't aware, tell us a little bit about what hockey one is and what it's all about. Yeah, so Hockey One, uh, not a new concept, but we've we've had a bit of a break like most sports during COVID. So back in action with season two. And it's essentially like our national league, if you like. It gives everyone an opportunity to represent their um, home city, if you like. And um, yeah, it's a home and away style tournament. Everyone gets three home games, three away games. And then we have a finals um, period at the end. And yeah, it's just a really exciting concept for hockey really great for the fans lots of um hometown engagement and uh hopefully it's going to help keep putting hockey on the map for, for those who hockey they're not as familiar with how important a competition is the hockey one competition oh it's it's really key um you know hockey is one of those sports that when it's on tv around the olympics and commonwealth games so many people get behind it you always hear people you know saying that they really enjoy watching so having a league for us that's um, available online to watch through KO, Fox, all of those sorts of things, getting getting the coverage um, that I think it deserves, but just giving, I guess, people an opportunity to see our sport, see how amazing it is, but also then watch it live. And we've had tournament-based structures in the past, which is, which is fine and works well for the athletes, but to be able to play home and away games where um, young kids can come and watch, you know, the, their, their superstars and um, see a pathway to a future that you know they could have one day is, is so important. 
It really is. Uh, my high school that I went to in Bendigo, Girton Grammar, for the last three years of my high school was really big hockey school. I didn't play myself, but we did play a lot um, d- during PE, but we had a, a really strong school team. So, um, And that's that's synonymous with a lot of schools. I think people would be surprised to know just how big the participation in hockey actually is, Rachel. Yeah, I find most people I meet just in general life will say, oh, I played hockey at school or I played hockey at some point. It's um it's a sport for you know little kids all the way up to our veterans and masters age, so it covers everyone off. And yeah, it's such a good sport. I'm, certainly, I'm really pl- proud to be a part of it. Uh, fierce, fast, and the skill level is absolutely phenomenal. The there's a couple of different rules to hockey one as well. So if people are going to be tuning in and they uh, might have uh, not watched a game in a while, or the last time they might have watched might have been uh, at the Olympics or at the Com Games, just uh, update us on the on the different rule tweaks to make uh, hockey one just that little bit faster and that little bit uh, more fun. Yeah, well, people viewing are lucky. They'll have some good commentators like yourself that can help explain some of the rules. <laughs> um, but the idea around Hockey One is we want to make it more exciting. Um, and with that comes more goals, faster pace. And um, for me as a goalie, that can be a bit of a challenge because they're trying to change the rules to make sure more goals are scored. And I'm going to be there to try and stop that. But um, yeah, there's conversion. So if you get a field goal... Uh, you get another opportunity to try and double the points, essentially, by doing a, a shootout, which is a one-on-one versus a goalie. So for anyone that hasn't seen them before, really exciting. Uh, it's a case of skill player in the game. And, um, yeah, so it's much high score, much more high-scoring games, much more action, and really interesting to watch for, you know, the hockey fan, also for people that haven't seen it before. Now, as one of our best goalkeepers do you enjoy this new rule because this is putting you right in the frame uh, you and a player one-on-one <laughs> may the may the best player win do you love those moments <laughs> I do I do and I've um I've had many shootouts across my career and I really look forward to doing them and I think that helps me be successful with them generally because I you know embrace the pressure rather than sort of worry about it but um I'm all for more goals being scored as I said that's what people want to see so um, as much as I'll try and disrupt that, it's um, it's a really key part of this this exciting new format. Uh, we're talking to a two-time Olympian, two-time Com Games gold medalist and uh, one of our best uh, hockey keepers in Rachel Lynch, part of the Hockey One, uh, playing with the Melbourne team. Each game of Hockey One, uh, you've got the men's and the women's playing uh, on the same day, uh, the same field, so it is a fully integrated club uh, and both uh, the teams play uh, as part of the coverage, uh, which you can see on KO. Uh, they've got Perth this week. Um, with the with those one-on-ones, Rachel, so how much time do you spend looking at your opposition, um, having a look at, you know, how they would, what they, te- you know, and looking for any habits that they might have, whether, you know, like what a, a soccer goalkeeper does with a penalty uh, shootout with the strikers on the opposition team or their, their main penalty takers. Do you spend a bit of time looking at footage of, of who the, you know, the, the, the main scorers what they look to do and if there's any habits that you can pick up on? Yeah, so in my international career, I did that a lot. Watched mm. the other countries and their key players. I'm fortunate now that, um, you know, a lot of my opposition players are the girls that I've played with for the last, you know, however many years. So I know their I know their, their moves kind of inside and out. Plenty of time practicing with them and, and also then watching them at a higher level. Um, and then I think there's, you know, there's other athletes in there that, you can pick up little cues. You know, strikers traditionally do certain things. The midfielders got more skills, so they'll try and take you on. Defenders, power hitters, 
maybe they can slap. They uh, there's a lot of trends, but uh, at the end of the day, when I'm in there, I'm just watching the ball and focus on on stopping it. So sometimes we overcomplicate it a little bit. So I like to keep it simple. Um, your own career has been a phenomenal one. I mean, you've you've got a, a very I'd imagine quite the large trophy cabinet. You've you've medalled it as I said before. <laughs> you've got the two golds. Uh, from the Com Games, and as I'm uh, just having a look down, Oceania Cup, you've got three gold medals as well. You've got silvers for champions trophies, FIH World League, um, FIH Pro League. Talk to. I, I was interested just in your own story uh, into hockey. How did you find it, um, and and your your journey through it? Uh, yeah, so um, started in primary school. Hockey's it wasn't a sport on the radar for me. I played heaps of other sports, and basketball mm. was my main sport. But, um, yeah, hockey has, has been, I mean, it's given me so much. I've had yeah, 15 years of competing with Australia, travelling the world, um, you know, representing Melbourne and Victoria as well, which is very special. Um, but it's, a, I don't know, it's just one of those things that to be able to represent your country, to um, do it with your mates and, and have success, you know. I appreciate the kind words and the list you just read out there. But uh, for me, it was, you know, the friendships that I've made, being able to, go and you know do my family proud internationally um and and all of those parts that that are the most memorable to me um and yeah as i said it's it's a wonderful sport that we get to go and yeah travel the world like i i see nowadays plenty of people are battling with which sport to go into you know AFL cricket especially for females but um find another sport where you can you know travel the globe every single year and um put on the green and gold it's pretty cool HC Melbourne, Perth Thundersticks, Friday night, Melbourne Sports Centres, Parkville, uh, round two of the Hockey One League. Perth had a good win last week uh, as well, so they'll be stiff competition. What are your expectations for, for this one? On both the, the men's and the women's side, Rachel? Yeah, it should be a really good game. The, um, I encourage anyone or anyone and everyone to come down and watch. I've recruited some of my athlete friends, so it's going to be a star-studded um, crowd this week few Olympians across different sports. Ooh, who are we talking? One of our Opals. Oh, I'm going to stitch him up here. Um, we've got Rowie Webster coming. She's our water polo. Been yes. to a number of Olympics and captain of the water polo team. Um, Brody Summers is coming as well. One of our retired, recently retired mogul skiers. And um, Christy Wallace, who won bronze at the uh, with the Opals just recently. Brilliant. They're all coming to watch some hockey. So you'll be missing out if you're not there, but it's... Uh, it's going to be a really great clash. WA are a good side, um, the Thundersticks, and I think across men's and women's, it'll be a pretty tight matchup. Both in, well, in the women's, we're top of the table, equal top after round one. Um, but yeah, back the girls in. We've had a really solid training week. It's another home game, so that helps. Um, hopefully, the weather's kind to us, not too wet. But uh, looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be absolutely phenomenal. Of course, you'll be able to see it all on KO, the Hockey One League. After a two-year hiatus due to COVID, it is back. Bigger, better than ever. Make sure you do check it out. You will be glad that you did. Rachel, I can't let you go until I get you to do uh, your party trick, which I'm told is you can say the alphabet backwards very quickly. So if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, Z-Y-X-W-V, U-T-S-R-Q-P, O-N-M-L-K-J, I-H-G, F-E-D-C-B-A. <laughs> when did you decide that you could do that? <laughs> I think when I was a little kid, uh, we had it up on the wall. My brother learned it forward, so I wanted to learn it backwards and go one better. 
There we and go. I've remembered it ever since. Always been the competitor. <laughs> I love it. Hey, uh, good luck uh, t- Friday night uh, against Perth, and good luck for the rest of the Hockey One season. Can't wait to see you out there. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for the support. Uh, well, the A-League season is upon us again, and will we see another year like last year where Western United completely stunned the football world uh, in claiming their first title, um, the fledgling club. Uh, I don't think anyone would have had them pegged at the start of the year, but Johnny Aloisi waves his magic wand, and they are the reigning premiers coming in to this 2022-2023 season, and they will kick off the season against Melbourne City on Friday night. To give us a preview of what might lie in store for us for this A-League season, Adam Kwasnick, uh, former star with Central Mariners, a little bit with the Wellington Phoenix, and then back to the Central Mariners and part of SEN's A-League commentary team. Adam, hello, mate. Good afternoon, Sam. How are you going? Uh, very well, thanks. Uh, it snuck up on us a little bit, the, the A-League season, but uh, back in earnest, from Friday night, uh, looking forward to chatting to you about all things A-League. But I need to ask you this question first. Yep. For those people who don't know the name Garang Kual, why do they need to know this young man's name? Oh, well, Sam, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a young boy with uh, plenty of potential. Um, you know, if, if that talent is nurtured, um, he's going to turn into really something special. And uh, Newcastle United have snapped him up extremely early, um, but they've seen enough and they think that he's he's going to be one of the next big things. So keep an eye out for Garen Kowal. Um, he's definitely some someone uh, very, very special. Um, uh, and, and hopefully he can reach his uh, true potential. This is a, a guy who, um, who came to Australia uh, from Sudan, uh, part of the Shepanese Sudanese community. Um, he signed with Newcastle United in the English Premier League, uh, has had some stunning performances in his short time with the Socceroos. And, in, and, and the way that he played in the A-League All-Star game against Barcelona was incredibly eye-catching. Uh, to come from the Golden Valley region and now uh, heading to the Toon, uh, it's an extraordinary, extraordinary story um, from, from, a, from a young guy from, from, from Sudan. Absolutely. Um, you know, he, his brother, he sort of followed in his brother's footsteps, Alo Kowal, who's, you know, now based in, in Europe. I think it's in the German second division. And, um, you know, from, from all reports coming out of Shepparton at that time, um, they were saying that his younger brother is better. Um, and uh, I had the privilege of working with Garangi. He, he, he worked, um, well, he was at the school that I work up at uh, Central Coast Sports College. Um, and there's just so much potential, Sam. It's, it's ridiculous. He's such a free spirit. He's very confident, uh, both on and off the field. Um, you know, like I said, Newcastle United have snapped him up very early. I think the key for Newcastle United is to nurture that potential and turn it into real talent. Uh, absolutely. It is just a phenomenal story, isn't it? I mean, from Sudan to Egypt to Shepparton to the Central Coast Mariners, and now uh, he's heading over to, to link up with Newcastle United, a massive club in the in the EPL. And um, I'm sure they'll... I think they're going to loan him out somewhere first and foremost, Quaz? Yeah, I, I'd imagine so. Look, I, I, he's still got a few games to play for the Central Coast Mariners, so I'm hoping they get off to a red-hot start. But, yeah, look, uh, I, I'm assuming they'll, they'll assess him once he gets to England and, and has a bit of training under his belt over there and then... They'll make a decision whether to loan him out uh, to one of you know one of the smaller clubs that they're affiliated with, and 
you know, who who knows? He could be even a part of a World Cup squad if uh, Graham Arnold likes what he sees. Uh, I'm pretty sure the two games they had against the Kiwis, um, he impressed in that second game. So you never know. Graham Arnold might uh, have uh, young Garankawa as a bolter for the Socceroos squad. The youngest Socceroo debutant since Harry Kuehl, and, and we've got him until January. So we'll enjoy that. And uh, geez, don't you think that the viewership and the attendee, uh, the attendances of... Um, of Central Coast Mariners games, mate, are going to be uh, maybe just on the uh, on the rise while we've got him here. But let's have a chat about this A-League season. Um, are you expecting much in the way of movers and sliders? Who are going to be the big improvers this year, do you think, Quaz? Hey, that's a tough question very early on. Look, um, look I, I'm going to say the movers and the movers in a positive direction are yeah. going to be the West Sydney Wanderers. I... I, I I really believe, I mean, they've had a massive clean-out once again. Um, and, and let's be honest, this this so-called clean-out and rebuild has been going on for a couple of years now at the Western Sydney Wanderers. Uh, Mark Rudin has brought in 19 new players to his squad. Um, I think they're going to be the biggest movers um, in terms of shifting their way up the ladder. Um, along with them, I think MacArthur are going to have a really strong season. Uh, obviously, they they won the the Australia Cup just recently up against Sydney United. But I think those two teams will be up there, thereabouts, fighting for the title at the end of the season. Um, as for the sliders, well, I don't really know. The way, I've, the way I've played it out, I think City won't find themselves in the top two uh, for the first time for a very long time. I think Melbourne City, uh, they'll, they'll play finals football, uh, but I've got them further down the table in, in, in fifth spot. So they're one of the sliders for me. And then I'm not sure about the likes of Perth, uh, Brisbane and Newcastle. Who knows what they could produce. Hopefully they can turn it on for us. But I've got them down the, 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 the far end of the table uh, where, where most teams don't, definitely don't want to be. The Western United story last year was an exception. Like, yep. that, 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 that took a lot of people by surprise. Now that you've had the time you have to, you've had, we've all had to sort of get our heads around it, what do you put yep. it down to? Did it stun you? I mean, I think was it was at second or third season in the competition. Yeah, most definitely, uh, you know, stunned me. I think it was the effect of, of John Aloisi. He's been at a couple A-League clubs now and he's he's sort of uh, earned his stripes within the likes of the Brisbane Brisbane Raw. Um, you know, I, I think he, he plied his trade there and then he learned a lot from there and then heading to Western, um, he just had a real positive effect on him. And, um, you know, he's hungry for more titles. I saw a, uh, an article today. They want back-to-back titles. Now, the only real notable, notable uh, inclusion for me is James Truisi. Uh, apart from that, they haven't really changed too much. They've got Diamante to come back from a long-term injury. So, you know, they're going to be strong uh, very much so again. Uh, but as you know, when, you, when you've won one title, you become the hunted. And uh, that's something that John Aloisi and his players are going to have to withstand if they're to, to fight for the title again. The, the first round of games, they've, um, I think they've scheduled this really well, uh, the A-League. And, of course, um, you'll be able to listen to SEN's coverage of a lot of these games. So make sure you check out sen.com.au. Adam Kwasnick speaking to us, part of our SEN A-League commentary team. But we're going to start off uh, Friday night, Quas, Melbourne City, Western United. So it's the, the grand final replay. Um, perfect way to start off a season. Central Coast Mariners, Newcastle Jets, bragging rights there. Um, Sydney FC and Melbourne victory uh, on Saturday night. Um, it, it just seems that everywhere you look, they've they've really done a great job in the way that 
um, the, the, the opening games of the season have been scheduled with some marquee and, and blockbuster games straight off the bat. Yeah, most definitely. And it all starts with the grand final replay. I think that's going to be a cracker. You mentioned the Big Blue, um, the F3 derby. There's so much to look forward to. And I guess, look, football in this country really needs to stand up now that they've got the Women's World Cup, uh, you know, next year. And they've only got six A-League games uh, leading into a World Cup break. So, you know, as a as a, a football community, we really need to hit the ground running. And, and what better way to start with the grand final replay um, Melbourne City v Western United. I think uh, it will almost be a sellout out at Amy Park on Friday night. And, you know, the last five games that uh, these two teams have played, Western United have won four of them, and that's including the, the big dance, the grand final. So Melbourne City got a little bit of ground to make up on Western United um, with, uh, you know, losing four of those five games. So I can't wait for this one to unfold. So we've already uh, given one name to look out for while we've still got him uh, until... January um, yep. with, the, with the Central Coast Mariners. And as I said, they play uh, Newcastle uh, on, uh, was it Saturday, did I say? Uh, I've just uh, closed the the, yep. the, the draw the, that I had up on the screen down. Uh, so that is on uh, Saturday, uh, 5 p.m., the Central Coast Mariners. And, of course, the departing uh, Garan Kual, who's going to uh, Newcastle United in the Premier League. Give us some other players that, that people should be keeping an eye on this year, whether it be, you know, whether it be marquee signing or, or up-and-coming young talent, Quaz, or, or just a player you think set for a very big year. Oh, look, there's so many to mention, uh, Sam. But, but for me, you've you got to look at the players that, that are on the verge of making a World Cup squad for the Socceroos. Uh, Marco Tilio, uh, I mentioned Garen Kowal. Uh, Daniel Arzani, he, he wasn't in that last squad uh, that played the Kiwis. He's another one um, that, you know, potentially could make a World Cup squad. You know, you're expecting in these first six weeks of the season for them to really step up and put their point forward to Graham Arnold and his coaching staff that they're worthy of a World Cup berth. Um, and then you've got, you know, the marquees, Nani for Melbourne victory, uh, Robert Mack for Sydney FC, um, Charlie Austin for the Brisbane Raw. There's so much talent on show so much quality, uh, which really sets it up to be a cracking A-League season. I can't wait for these first six weeks. I think it's just going to be intense uh, every single game. You know, uh, players fighting for positions, obviously for World Cup berths. Um, and then you've got the clubs, you know, really want to get uh, hit the ground running, really start positively, have a bit of a break for the World Cup. Uh, during that break, I'm sure they'll keep ticking over. And then after the World Cup, continue on that season. So, you know, these next six weeks are really going to be fantastic for football viewing. Um, let's hope we can see plenty of goals uh, and plenty of action to show everyone just how uh, great the world game is. I uh, couldn't agree more, Quaz. And I, 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 I'd have to ask you about this. I know it's uh, just incredibly sad and disappointing that we do, but how did you feel watching the events that unfolded at the Australia Cup final? Uh, Sydney United, we know that one fan has been given it. Well, I shouldn't say fan because that's disrespectful to actual fans, but um, yeah. a, a lifetime ban when we're seeing Nazi salutes and, and fascist chants and uh, the songs that were being sung and, and the actions that were um, being put forward. Um, how disappointed were you uh, to see that happening and, and what needs to happen uh, in response? Oh, it's absolutely disgusting in, in, in my opinion. And uh, thank God the, the FA have come down hard on, on, on those people that chose to, you know, be way out of line. And 
Um, I think it sets the tone now for, for the rest of the season and, and moving forward with the game here in this country. It's just not tolerated for, um, you know, I was listening when they, uh, you know, at the very start of the game before the national anthem, anthems, um, it, it was just embarrassing. And then obviously back into the game with the salutes, it's, it's just uncalled for. That was the reason why the old NSL basically got disbanded and they wanted to start fresh. Mm. Um, unfortunately for Sydney United, it's left a sour sour look uh, for a club so decorated uh, with Australian football. Uh, they've got a lot of work to do now. Um, hopefully they can have a bit of success. But we talk about you know a, a, an Australian second division. That's the type of club that potentially would be in that second division. You definitely don't want a fan base that are are going to make those types of salutes and, and, and gestures, um, you know, when we're on the world stage. I think it's disgusting. And like I said, thank God the FA came, came, uh, came down very hard on that, on that person. Yeah. And all happening whilst booing the, the welcome to country. Um, it's right. just, it was, it's just inexcusable behavior and has no place. And so well said, and I appreciate you you're touching on it for us. Uh, it's all set for a really even A-League season from what I've been reading, Quaz, and, and from when you look at the, the, the balance of the sides and there's genuine contenders. Uh, it doesn't seem to be just a couple of teams that are, that are leading the charge. So it should be a really even A-League season. So let's hope it's a cracker uh, and gets the, the coverage and gets the interest that, that we hope that it does, mate. Uh, enjoy, and we'll chat to you again during it. Thanks very much for your time, Sam. Cheers, mate. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.